Alhamdulillah Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala Welcome everyone to uh, so, Sort of a solo, not exactly a solo It's uh, myself here I'm with uh, Nazmo Hassan As you know Salam rahmatullah And he's our uh, a rookie MashaAllah But he's getting a solo okay, We don't just bring any any uh, goof goofball on here <laughs> So someone who's got something to offer And that's what he has here And he's really going to do most of the presentation today and i'm just going to be with him on it so uh nazmal why don't we uh why don't you take it over from here cool. so let's start off with um getting you a little mad let's show let's show him what we got okay so you want to start off with stephen fry oh yeah okay all right so nazmal's got some uh it's a Stephen Fry clip here that he wants to start off and kick it off with. There we go. That is the Odyssey. I think I, I'll say bone cancer in children. Yeah, okay. What's that about? <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, How okay. dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates so a world which is so full of injustice and pain? <clears throat> Yeah, uh, you know, to me, it's it's strange how someone like an atheist can be so bitter about a god that they don't even believe in. That's the bizarrest thing, isn't it? <laughs> that is so bizarre. Uh, yeah, but I guess the real reason is like they they actually do believe in a god, but they just they just hate that that god doesn't conform to their own understanding. That's what it is. No, that's uh, they hate that so much. So anyway, uh, we're gonna be looking at that video. We're gonna be uh, deconstructing all of those arguments that he put forward, if that was even an argument. Um, we're going to be discussing the problem of evil, uh, but this time we're going to look at all of the varied responses from within the Islamic and Abrahamic traditions and go more in depth. So we're going to answer Stephen Fry and show why his quick judgment of God shows he has no understanding of the God we believe in. We're also going to tackle some very, very difficult questions like uh, children suffering. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the um, what do you call, the, the nail in the coffin, mm -hmm. so to speak, of... Um, of the atheist argument for the problem of evil. So let's start off by mentioning another shocking story. Uh, in 2004, the Indian Ocean tsunami devastated the Muslim-majority country of Indonesia, killed over 300,000 people in the worst ways you can imagine. So after this disaster, there was a lot of soul-searching because the disaster was especially bad. Uh, it affected the most pious region of Indonesia called uh, Ake, Ache. Mm. I mean, the Indonesians listening uh, probably butchered that, butchered that name. So the question is, how could God allow such a thing? Mm. Like, what was the wisdom in the destruction that followed? Mm. These people are looking for a hope, you know, these people that suffered in the, the tsunami, and there was a recent tsunami too. Um, and so they're looking for a hope, a lifeline that the devastation that they saw and the death that they experienced was not all in vain. There's no shortage of evil we could mention to get you worked up and question everything and make the world appear you know, hopeless. But the real question is, if indeed there's a God that is all-powerful and all-good, how do these instances of evil take place? How can we explain them? If he's all-powerful, he's able to stop these evils. But he doesn't. Doesn't this mean he is not all-powerful? Hmm. If he is all-good, he would stop evil out of his goodness. Mm -hmm. But there's evil, so does it mean he is not all-good? Okay. So some of us are often faced with this question in various points of our lives. 
and just be tough is just not the right answer that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. And especially in the modern world, we experience suffering even more acutely because we're just not as strong as our forefathers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, um, there's a special type of suffering of the, the modern human being, which is loneliness. Right? True. So it's, uh, it's more important than ever to get an answer to this question. And lack of guidance on ba- basic things yeah, like that. Yeah, absolutely. Which... Absolutely. And you can see the, the rise of, you know, people, the, all the self-help books and everything mm-hmm. that really shows you that people are searching for solutions. But fortunately, we're not forced to have blind faith, um, and Islam offers a range of answers to meet and conquer the suffering that we face and make sense of our existence. Okay. So the question is, uh, you know, one of the questions that people would um, give when we're trying to do something like this is, should we even offer an answer to suffering? Right? Mm. Uh, They might say, you know, what I'm trying to do is reprehensible. Right. Who like, might say that? Like some people, you know, okay. uh, let's say some somebody's mother dies and they listen to this podcast. They're like, what you're trying to do, you're trying to explain the strategy. Mm. You're trying to give a logical reason for the strategy. It's mm-hmm. reprehensible. Right. Okay. So uh, am I th- am I seriously trying to justify the suffering in the world and the real pain that real human beings go through? Am I trying to explain away the trauma of millions using some fancy metaphysics? Uh, am I trying to possibly explain away the Holocaust? <laughs> right. Uh, no, I mean, this topic is probably the most sensitive within religion today, as you can hear from the, the outraged rant of Stephen Fry. Mm-hmm. Um, because so many people cannot bring themselves to believe in God because of the supposed evil that they see in the world. I recognize how difficult it is for the victims of tragedy, yet I also think that victims of great tragedies suffer exponentially more if their suffering is explained as meaningless. Mm, right? Good point. You see Very what I mean? good point. If to the if I went to the tsunami survivor and I were to say you know this is a random act of nature and you can't do anything about it, uh, the Earth's gonna self destruct anyway, so just don't cry about it. And that right? there's no gain either. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think this is the worst possible thing you could ever say to a victim. It's true. Um, and yeah. actually, what you're about to say is that there's gain. Yeah. In all exactly. this stuff. Right. Yeah. And and not only does this make the suffering even more intense when you explain it like this. It sucks the joy out of life and existence itself. Mm-hmm. You know, so many people. There's an epidemic of suicide these days because, you know, people just can't even. Uh, they feel that meaninglessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have no explanation for their suffering. So, to the question of should we offer an answer, um, I say yes. We we should because human beings instinctively look for answers in our suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but this doesn't mean that we go to a victim and we start. You know explaining this problem of evil in like detailed logical analysis like there's a difference of how we uh, treat somebody who's just suffered and how we treat this problem with a cool mind looking back right so i think the greatest gift that we can offer a suffering human being is meaning you're totally right this is exactly what you know islam's provided for me and countless others with Mm -hmm. and nietzsche was right when he said that what makes suffering unbearable is the meaninglessness of it. That's right? totally true. Not necessarily the pain. Yeah. And and Nietzsche himself, he had a mental breakdown because he saw a, a horse getting whipped. And wow. he went into... So this was the guy who was talking about Superman and, you know, make your own morals. He saw yeah. a horse getting whipped in front of him and he just had a mental breakdown and he wow. died after like a few months. Wow. So, I mean, it's, it's really... So we need to provide some sort of meaning. So... Do we so let's let's talk about you might ask why couldn't this world not have any evil whatsoever? Mm-hmm. 
Isn't that possible for God? So this is section. I'm just going to give for the audience now listening. Yeah. N- uh, Nas has actually some pretty logical sections here. We're now on the section of uh, a world without evil. Is mm-hmm. that even possible? Right. So, and that's the question that people have. Why couldn't, I mean, if God's perfect, why couldn't he create a world with no evil whatsoever? Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I would say, uh, well, yes. You know, why suppose there isn't a world in which evil doesn't exist? You know, why suppose God hasn't created such a world? And he most certainly has. Okay, the data of Revelation, mm. when we have Revelation, it tells us that there isn't a square inch of space in the universe, but that there are beings created out of pure light, mm. which are worshiping God constantly and appreciating his creation. Okay, we know these to be angels. And it's obvious that their world is much different than ours. And it's also obvious that their world contains no evils. Right? Yeah, so, so that actually that answer is uh, that we have seven mm-hmm. universes above us, right? right? Exactly. Or seven abodes, mm-hmm. which are greater than universes. Yeah. And uh, so we're the only little speck mm-hmm. in which evil exists. Right. Whereas the bulk of uh, the creation yeah. is purely without evil. Exactly. Okay. And and there's a there's a very good reason for why evil exists. Like mm. it's not just sort of a haphazard job done by Allah SWT. There's there's actually, uh, as I'm going to argue later on, that if evil didn't exist, there would be certain goods that are lost. Mm. Right. So we're going to get into that. Okay. So, but as of now, I mean, when we approach this question, we have, you know, we know that we exist. Mm-hmm. We encounter existence. Uh, there are events that cause us pain and suffering. Like, this is the data we have. But we also know, using a rational mind, that there has to be a creator. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, what this podcast is like. How do you resolve these two things? Yeah. That we know there must be a creator, mm-hmm. and we also get hurt. We also suffer pain. So how do we resolve these two things? So this is, this is what, in essence, a theodicy is. Mm-hmm. Um, theodicy comes from the Greek theos, which means God, and daiki, I'm probably butchering that pronunciation too, which means justice. Okay. So it means something like doing God justice or justifying God. Um, what do you think about that? Like uh, judicious. judicious. Same, the same uh, <clears throat> second root, uh-huh. D-I-C. Is injudicious. Do you know Greek? For example, huh? I, I know a little bit of Greek. <laughs> Mashallah. <laughs> Mashallah. Um, yeah. So, I better be careful. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So. It's it's actually it's like dyke. Some of pronounce dyke. Mm-hmm. Some of them pronounce dice. Dice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. It's actually the, the they one of the dyke is actually one of their goddesses. Oh, got yeah. you, got you. Wow. Yeah. She's okay. like she's like the goddess of the court, basically. Oh, okay. That's so that's justice, where it right. comes from. Right. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, that's that's what theodicy means, the the word. And when when we're saying we're offering a theodicy, we're offering... Divine justice. You're right. We're offering an explanation. An explanation, exactly. I, I got you. Okay. Um, Good. So, we're going to offer a few theodicies from multiple different angles. Hmm. Um, but here's what I'm not attempting to do before anybody misunderstands. I'm not attempting to explain every single instance of evil that has ever happened to everybody. Right. I mean, there's no way I could do that. You're talking about the concept of evil itself. No, like the actual, the... like, like why you failed your calc test last yeah. week. Like, yeah, I so we're not the... talking about specifics. Yeah, we're just we're not talking, talking about, about the specific. theory or the exactly. idea yeah. of right. why bad things happen in the first place. The overarching, just the idea. Exactly. Yeah. The which overarching if, thing. Yeah, which if the person uh, gets that, mm-hmm. then they'll, have, they'll be able to couch their own incident. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, because, because there's no way that I could 
do that explanation because I yeah. don't know your life, right? Yeah. I don't know the specific circumstances uh, that you had to go through. But uh, I'm sure if you reflect on it using the tools that are, you know, we give in this podcast, yeah. maybe something can come out of it. So, uh, so um, the answers to these specific questions, mm-hmm. they come from the persons themselves. As they live their lives, they are in the best positions to see the hidden wisdom in the events that happen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. For me, a theodicy isn't meant to explain every single thing you find evil in creation. A theodicy is meant to prove why it's completely rational. Mm. And in fact, the best option to trust in God and to have security in that trust. Critical. So that's that was that's what we're trying to argue here. We're not trying to argue, you know, that when you failed your calc test, you know, last night, whatever, that that was something good mm-hmm. that happened. We're not trying to argue that. We're trying to say that it's completely rational to have trust in God. Not saying evil is good. Exactly. Okay. We're, we're trying to say that it's completely rational to have trust in God. Good. So <clears throat> it's meant to demonstrate that, like, God is not out to get us. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you heard in the Stephen Fry clip that you know he. He really feels that God is out to get him. Tell people uh, who this guy is. Um, he's he's a comedian. Mm-hmm. He's actually a pretty funny comedian. He had a show um, uh, called uh, Fry and Laurie. Okay. Uh, Laurie is uh, Hugh Laurie from House. Okay. So both. I don't of know guys, who that is. Who, House. House is a medical show. You know the medical. Show? Oh, oh yeah. I'm, I missed that. I was in one yeah. of those phases where I spent like a decade and a half <laughs> without watching any TV <laughs> as a talib ilm. Until <laughs> they came back to life here and, and got corrupted again. Yeah, that's that's why I'm a rookie. Yeah. <laughs> so so, th- so this guy, um, you know, one one thing that always bothers me about yeah. comedians is that they seem like they get away with everything. Oh yeah. By just saying, "Oh, I'm just a joker. I'm just a comedian. Mm-hmm. It's just a uh, just have a laugh." Like they'll make the worst and uh, filthiest or most mm-hmm. uh, outlandish commentary, and yeah. then just say, oh, just I'm just a comedian." Mm-hmm. So that always bothers me about comedians. I mean, what's his name was was a good commentator too. Uh, uh, the dude who used to wear all black, uh, George Carlin. Carlin. George, George Carlin, Carlin was yeah. funny sometimes yeah. too, and he would make some outlandish. He's, uh, he's, he was an atheist too. Yeah, he was an atheist yeah. too. Yeah. So, he, he made comments similar to this guy. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because yeah. they're like, you know, the um, the profession is just you know laughing and laughing, right? Yeah. So it's like you know their hearts. Uh, yeah. the, the hadith, the Prophet or something. Yeah, exactly. I forget the excessive laughter. Yeah, excessive uh, laughter. kills the heart. Yeah, yeah. So they treat everything like a joke. So it's like you yeah. Know, uh, nothing serious. You can't discuss anything serious with them. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, that's what we're trying to do. We're uh, we're trying to like show that God is not out to get His creation. I mean, think about it for a second. If God is out to get you, yeah, like who can, like who can stop you? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Firstly, who's gonna stop him? <laughs> Secondly, look at this universe. Right. Look how big it is. Right. And you think that someone's going to out for you? Right, you of think you're all, so special. Yeah, you think you're yeah. that special, and you couldn't have been crushed by a tree. Or how about of all the sperm that Allah created, right? Right, that could have been you, mm-hmm. right? That He couldn't have diverted your exactly. little sperm. Exactly. Yeah, it's so, silly. Yeah. Okay. So you know, and we're trying to show He knows what He's doing, mm-hmm. and He's on our side. Good. And it's meant to provide us with reference frames from which we see the world. Good. Uh, the world may appear to some of us as blurry, chaotic, brutal, meaningless, you know, especially with social media these days, every bad story just going on your newsfeed. But this is because there's fog on our glasses mm-hmm. and we keep bumping into things as yeah. we walk. So a theodicy is meant to wipe those glasses clean. Good metaphor. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so while I will be discussing a variety of Islamic responses spanning the Sunni schools, uh, sorry, no Shia schools. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we just know uh, we we don't know their stuff. I yeah, mean, we don't so know their I mean, stuff. it's it's rarely studied, uh, at least in our yeah. corners. Yeah, it's it's all Mu'tazili stuff anyway. Yeah, well, the Mu'tazili though they have the Mu'tazili yeah. have uh, great answers. Yeah, yeah, they do. You know, like if you wanted to, to debate atheists. Uh-huh. Even though they're a sect in terms of other things, they're deviants in front of in terms of other things. But on terms of uh, responding to heresies and yeah. and kufurs and, and other things like that, uh, they're actually you know they got good stuff. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, I was actually with Sheikh Hamza Makbul the other day, and uh, he said, you know, the uh, uh, responding to her- kufur, yeah, heresies and deviations like yeah. that, um, is not actually not limited to Ahlus Sunnah. Right. You know. Right. Uh, other people, other groups can do those responses too. So right. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Shia uh, perennialists and all these folks that they have great responses to mm-hmm. these things. Yeah. So well, just to be more severe. All right. Now you have a heading here, subheading Badu Zaman Said Norsi. Tell us who mm-hmm. he is. So uh, we're going to be focusing on the works of Sheikh Norsi from Turkey. So mm-hmm. he was a scholar that lived. It's It's insane because. He saw like the entire Islamic world crashing down. That was a life. bad time. It was a really bad time. I would not have wanted to live <laughs> as bad as like this era is. At least we know we're in the gutter, right? Right. right? We've yeah. already crashed, right? And there was no, there's no like great amazing thing that we left behind. Uh-huh. Whereas for them, that was a bad time. Horrible. Yeah. And, and he, uh, so he lived through World War One. Yeah. Uh, he lived through the fall of the Ottoman Empire. Oh my He gosh. lived through seeing Kamal Ataturk. Oh. Into power. So he grew up with the Khilafah. Yeah. He he overlapped then with Abdul Hamid, yeah, Sultan Abdul Hamid, as a child, I guess. Yeah. And wow. It's Where there was crazy. at least some khair, there was adhan, things mm-hmm. like that. He actually uh, fought in World War One. He's a veteran. Oh, really? Yeah, he got taken as a prisoner by the Russians. Oh, really? And, and he was about to be killed by a firing squad. Yeah. And uh, the people changed uh, changed their minds. He He's like, before I get killed, I'm going to pray two, two rakats of um, really? prayer. Really? And then they put him up there. They're like, you know what? Never mind. You're kidding. It's the crazy. Russians. The Russians. They just changed their mind. Yeah. He he fought on the side. You know, he was fighting against the Russians. Yeah, because the, the, the Ottomans were on, I guess, the German side both times. Yeah, yeah. The wrong side, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. And he actually escaped from the Russian camp. On really? Foot, on foot. Wow. After they saved his, yeah. uh, they saved him, they spared him, and then he escaped, basically. He escaped. And wow. he, came back to, he came back to Istanbul on foot. And wow. they just greeted him like a like a hero. Really? Yeah. So he was actually heroic before all this. Oh yeah, he's wow. he's insane. He he went to a there was a tribal leader that was like kill, killing random people. Yeah, and he went up to that guy. He was like seventeen, and he was already a, a like a mufti level. Really? He finished the entire Ottoman curriculum in six months. Ajib. He was a he memorized. Um, <laughs> One time he was traveling to um, Iraq, yeah, and he happened to get stranded in a yeah. in a Sufi lodge, a Khanukah. Yeah, so he was there for three months, and he memorized, you know, Qamus al Muhit. Yeah, the famous Arabic dictionary. So he memorized all the way up to the letter Sin. Subhanallah, <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. He's, he's insane. Yeah, that is unbelievable. Mashallah. Yeah, so, he was. I guess you could say he was a mujaddid of his yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. I think. I yeah. think he's the. And the movements, yeah. the movements that came out of him, are the movements that still exist today. Oh yeah, that's why religion survived in Turkey. I, I yeah. really think it's because of Said Nusri. There are three movements, mm-hmm. and they all stem from him. Yeah, yeah. The, and, so, and two of them are in grave dispute right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And then the third one's more quietist. But I think mm-hmm. all of them were inspired by him. Yeah. SubhanAllah. I mean, his writing was like, I mean, he was isolated for, so he was in prison, war, um, and exiled for like most of his life. And his Exiled writing, where? So when Kamar, uh, Ataturk got into power, yeah. they they suspected that he was going to lead like a counter-revolution. Yeah. But Said Nursi, when he saw Ataturk, he was like, "This is the dragon. Like he's gonna, he's gonna kill Iman." He actually met Ataturk. Wow. Oh, really? Yeah. Tell us about that. So, it's crazy. I mean, it gives me shivers. He met Ataturk, and Ataturk wanted him, Said Nursi, to lead the 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 religious department of Turkey. Uh. And everybody trusted Ataturk at the time. By the way, like because he, because uh, and mo- most of a lot of listeners, if unless they study Turkish history, they don't yeah. know that Ataturk was a soldier who came up and there was no issue with him. Mm-hmm. And then when the Europeans came to take yeah. Turkey yeah. as a colony, he's the one who led the uh, revolt against yeah. them yeah. and and defeated the European. Uh, what yeah. was it, England or? Who was uh, it? England, France? Yeah, England? England and France. So you think, you imagine, I mean, yeah. Turkey, what they are, defeating Inc, the great power, right, yeah. uh, that came and coming out of Western Europe. So he was a national beyond yeah. hero, beyond yeah. hero. Yeah. So that's why Atatürk was like basically worshipped at exactly. this time. Exactly. And this was before he went rogue, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. he was still actually, believe it or not, um, and I'm, we're going to get back to your topic here. Mm-hmm. Uh, alhamdulillah, we have an outline so we could follow. Yeah. But, uh, believe it or not, uh, he has khutbas. There were khutbas about him where Inshallah. he gave jumas as a Turk, wow. jumuah khutbas. Uh, when the Europeans were coming to take over Turkey, yeah, right, uh, the uh, the British, uh, basically calling Hay al Jihad, right, wow. and giving ayat, ayat, a hadith about the importance of jihad because he still had to speak that language. Yeah, he, yeah, he absolutely. had to speak that language. Absolutely. So Ataturk, people don't know, think he just came out of nowhere as a yeah. rebel against the religion. No, he actually played the, he was he in played it. played the game. He played the game, and he was um, viewed as a regular, you know, Turk, mm-hmm. right? And then, of course, he had his movement that he was yeah. part of yeah. uh, that was a little bit secular-leaning, but it wasn't that bad yeah. until he took over. So that's just to give some people some context. All right, continue with your story that he saw him there. So he saw him there, and so Ataturk wanted him to lead the religious department. Uh, the religious revolutionary department, whatever. So, like, that. yeah, the department, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the Khalifa. Uh-huh. And Nursi saw this guy, and he met him, and he said, I immediately realized, he calls Ataturk the dragon. Unbelievable. Right? And he said, I immediately realized that, so Nursi was super involved in politics, right? Uh-huh. Before before writing his grand uh, tafsir. As commentary or what? As, as like, a, it's a commentary. Or, it's like a very, a, or seeking a, uh, to be a to be a, a To leader. be, like, in power. He wanted to be a yeah, leader. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but once he saw Ataturk, he was like, the, the era of politics is over. Wow. And he said, uh, this man will destroy Iman. Unbelievable. And he said, so I retreated from the, the arena of politics to defending the truths of the Quran. Subhanallah. And Ataturk saw that he was dangerous, right? Yeah. So, you know, exiled him, put him in prison. Um, so he jailed him. <clears throat> jailed him. And yeah. then he, after he got out, he sent him off to like this random place of Turkey. It was just, just mountains and like a little hut. Wow. And Nursi was like uh, an old man at the time. He was like 70 or something. Oh, so the bulk of his life was in yeah. jail? Was in jail? Bulk jail, just doing all of this drama. And he, right? didn't, he had a movement? He had followers? He had... Like the Muslim Brotherhood yeah, or yeah, no? Yeah, yeah. He had like followers, like his students and stuff. Wow. Uh, a lot of students. Like he spoke with regular people. Okay. Like uh, unlike the 
Ottoman ulama at the time who were sort of like in the you know ivory towers. He was going around doing street dawah. Wow. Like that was that was the type of person he was. And sounds really a lot like Hassan al-Banna. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he he spoke with. He went to one of his friends' house who was a scientist, and they said like, oh, we got these scientific books from um, the West and whatever. And he taught himself physics, chemistry, yeah. biology. He taught himself this. Support. And if you read his works, it's like it shows. Wow. It's like you know this this one letter where he says like, oh, can you please tell the pharmacist brother that you know this and this. So I'm like, <laughs> mashallah, you know, he's he's speaking to the common folk. You know? And so anyway, uh, Ataturk exiled him, okay. and he was. And during this exile, he wrote um, what I consider probably one of the greatest books ever written on the Quran. Um, and it's called the Risala and Nur. And, so, and how many is it? It's in English, of course. It's it's in. Um, I've heard so much about it, but I've never picked that up. Believe oh it or yeah. not, it's just it's so dense. I mean, he so speaks. Really? He speaks in a. It's not a, a te- technical tafsir. It's, no, it's more not. of a commentary. A commentary. It's it's uh you know you know when you talked about the samayat. Yeah. It's a defense of all of the pillars of iman. Okay. I see. From a logical point. Yeah. So he he goes into discussing angels. He says that why do you think angels are uh you know uh, illogical? Mm. And he shows you he gives you like all of these like he gives regular examples and we're gonna be reading some nursi in this podcast. Yeah. He gives you like these parables and these examples that just like, you know when I first one of my friends introduced me to nursi like I was a edgy weird kid back then and you know I had all these doubts and when my friend and I didn't know about occasionalism by the way you know this idea that Allah SWT is the file of everything yeah my friend gave me this thought experiment and I forget what it was all I remember was that I just couldn't sleep that night wow and for like the next few weeks I was just like it was like a mental shock wow you know and that's what when I what was it it was uh, he he gave he basically deconstructed the idea of causation, huh. right? Like that. Oh, the plant is the thing that produces the fruit. Yeah. Or the sunlight is the thing that makes the tree grow, and he just pushed me on this. He's like, "Do you really think it's the the seed that you know uh. bears the bears the tree?" Yeah. And I said, "Yeah, of course, because of this photosynthesis." And he's like pushing, 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 yeah. and then I was just like, "I was, I'm like, holy crap, you yeah. know." All the science I learned, I'm like, n- nothing's helping me. I, I actually don't know how the world works. Because he kept pushing back. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, and then finally, he gave me an explanation. He said that, you know, what you see in the tree, there's something that you see in the tree that no material thing could ever produce. Huh. The, the seed and the tree are so far apart. Yeah. They're so unlike each other that it's a miracle that the seed, seed becomes a tree. Yeah. And, and he just, you know, he gave all these thought experiments to me and... You know, ever since then, uh, I'm an Ashari. <laughs> you know, so, <clears throat> mashallah. All right, so yeah. what do you have here? How does Vadiu Zaman Said Norsi? Yeah. It's actually Badiu Zaman. Badiu Zaman. Yeah. Wonder of the Age. Yeah, Wonder of the Age. Yeah. Said Norsi. So, what is he offering regarding mm-hmm. theodicy? So one of the amazing things about Badiu Zaman Norsi is yeah. he's probably the first Islamic scholar I've encountered. Um, and I mean that's not saying much because I haven't I don't know Arabic or whatever right mm. uh, but he's one of the first to give like a comprehensive view of Islam uh. um, and uh, just to give you a couple examples uh, Imam Ghazali does that mm-hmm. in Ihya. Uh Ibn Taymiyyah does that he ha- has his own sort of yeah. a comprehensive view and Sayyid Nursi is uh, one of them yeah. and he he goes into depth on the subject of theodicy because uh. like if you look at it his 
most of his life is suffering. That's true. Right? That's and, true. And just everything around him is just falling apart. So he's so gonna have he's gonna have thought it out. Yeah, and that's the one of the things, one of the reasons I take him so seriously because I'm like, if this guy is telling me the world is good, <laughs> yeah, you know, like what what am I going through that's similar to his? Yeah, you know. Um, so he's one of the those people that have really explored all these questions in mm. depth, and we're going to be looking at some of those things. I mean, he's he's probably the only Islamic scholar I've encountered who gives a logical um, explanation of why children suffer, like specifically children, and and why you know so many things die, right? Like the plant. He's like, yeah. I find this plant beautiful, but everything's dying around me. Like this fly yeah. is so beautiful, but then it only lives for like three seconds. So. You know, he really thought about this stuff. So, you so know. let's hear it. Okay, so Bismillah. The we're gonna look at the problem of evil now. Uh, we're gonna first define the problem and why this problem has occupied so many people over the centuries. And this is the only, by the way, this is the only. I would say good. I mean, it's not even good, but it's the only good objection to the existence of God from the atheist side. Huh. This is the only argument that they have. Yeah. Paired with the divine hiddenness argument, which is basically God is invisible, but yeah. it's kind of a stupid argument. Right? Yeah. A lot of things are invisible. Yeah. Your um, own consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. So they have no other argument, whereas the theist has tons of arguments for the positive existence of God. Mm. Okay. And they also have a response to the problem of evil. Yeah. So this argument is has been revived in a fresh way by the new atheists and it's really emotionally powerful as you saw from the stephen fry clip yeah um but it's a psychological problem it's it's not a logical problem it's it's what i call the believer's problem hmm. okay it hinges on the question can we ultimately trust in god hmm. are we reasonable to trust in god that's that's really what what's at stake so <clears throat> the first big challenge from the problem of evil goes like this it says that these three statements cannot all be th- uh, all be true. Okay. These three statements. There's an all-powerful and all-knowing God. Okay. God is perfectly good. Mm-hmm. There's evil in the world. That they're saying that these three statements are contradictory. Okay. okay. So this means that God is perfectly good and that there's evil in the world cannot be true. Hmm. If there's evil in the world, God cannot be perfectly good. Because a perfectly good God would do everything he can, or so they say, to prevent the suffering of his creation. Which is and, to create paradise. Basically. Right. Okay. And a perfectly powerful God mm-hmm. would have all the ability required to eliminate evil. Mm-hmm. And a perfectly knowledgeable God would know all the causes of evil and how to get rid of them. Good. Right? So whichever way you look at it, it seems like if you say there's evil in the world, mm-hmm. then God cannot be all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-good at the same time. You got to sacrifice one of those things. Gotcha. Either way, the traditional theist idea of God, as represented in Islam, Christianity, and Judaism, mm-hmm. all seems to be under attack from this problem of evil. Yeah. Notice one thing, however, this argument against God doesn't disprove his existence. That's true. It, it tries to attack. Well, the idea. isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it the argument through absurdity? Uh, through no. inconsistency. That is, it's not. Uh... He doesn't, the, the idea is impossible. Mm-hmm. Therefore, he doesn't exist. Right. You're saying that the it's an argument for absurdity. Yeah. Not in this case. Or argument from inconsistency. Inconsistency, right. Yeah. So, uh, again, it, it's not disproving a creator of the world. If we define God as a creator oh, of the world. Oh, it's just right. saying that he's not good. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, so this argument does nothing to disprove 
say the Kalam cosmologic argument. That's true. You're right about. Right. I, I see where you're coming. So yeah. when people say, "Oh, this argument is uh, it disproves God," like no, it doesn't. It yeah. just disproves. It just tries to disprove a certain idea of God. That's really a good point. Right? It just dis- just disproves the idea, or seeks to disprove the yeah. idea of God being um, like a personal merciful. God. Yeah. Yeah. Merciful. So that you shouldn't trust him, you should be basically mm-hmm. antagonistic to him. He's right. become like Zeus, where you right. could like hate him, mm-hmm. right? Like that. Or God is some type of deistic God, yeah. Right? Like he doesn't care about his creation. He started yeah. the clock way back when and just left. So it, it breaks know. actually. It, it's the beginning of it. It's in a sense a uh-huh. type of twisted mm-hmm. atheism where you become emotionally antagonistic to God, mm-hmm. but yeah. you don't actually become an atheist because if right. you actually become a truly a, uh, a non-believer, yeah. You would truly um, not even think twice about mm-hmm. God. Like I would, yeah. I don't think twice. I personally don't think twice about Zeus, uh, uh, Zeus or um, Ramakrishna or whoever yeah, right, these right. gods are with arms and stuff in India. Uh-huh. Right? right. Um, what's her name? Um, something with a V. Uh, Vishnu. Vishnu. Yeah. Like I don't think twice about her. Right. <laughs> right. Because I don't believe in her. Uh-huh. Right. But it seems like this type of argument actually pulls you to hating him so much that. You're driven to talk about it because you're you're so full of hate. Yeah, because he's now the object of all the harm in the world, or exactly. the source of all exactly. the harm in the world. And you take so, all the responsibility away from yourself. And, yeah, so it actually beco- ends up in a very psychologically sort of uh, uh, twisted in a sense because you become filled with rage. Yeah, and and hate, and therefore you become an enemy to anyone who loves God. Yeah, because now you're a lover of evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's a very good point. It doesn't necessarily do anything about existence of God. Yeah. But it does everything about the relationship between a person and God. Yeah. And okay. these these guys try to be smart about it. Um I mean that that's what you said is perfectly right that it doesn't disprove the existence yeah. of God. So yeah, they're like okay, it doesn't. But they'll be like, you know, um they may try to make a probabilistic argument like yeah. the more evil there is, the less likely there's God. They'll they'll try to say make an argument yeah. like that. But again, I mean this is you know, this is silly, right? Like, yeah. like the entire world could be hell, yeah. But it doesn't mean that there's no first creator. Well, that sort of <laughs> undermines their own argument because their whole argument is that God allowed this to happen or couldn't, right. uh, couldn't stop, stop it, it or right. did it himself. Right. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So if, if they're ever going to basically say that he doesn't exist in the first place, mm-hmm. this, the the origin of their journey is now undermined. Yeah. Right. Because the whole emotional journey starts with, well, he's the st- cause of everything. Yeah. And they're turning. It's very actually closer to the kufr of iblis, yeah, than an agnostic or an atheist who mm-hmm. just doesn't know if God exists or doesn't believe that there's a God at all. Because yeah. uh, iblis is an enemy; mm-hmm. has, it's like a sworn enemy of Allah yeah. Taala, of course, right? So that's how that's actually they're they're actually quite similar to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think okay. iblis's big big thing is he didn't study actually. He has all the knowledge. Well, right? that's but what. The, well, that's the thing. It's like you kept saying emotionally charged, yeah. right? This is all emotion. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's clouding. Yeah. Now, all right. Now, let's get back to your mm-hmm. points. Where so, are we at? We're at uh, discussing the actual argument. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what I want to do is I want to challenge the assumptions of the arguments itself. Good. Okay. And I firmly believe that the entire argument rests on incorrect assumptions. Okay. Namely that God that is all good would never allow anything that is evil. I think this assumption is incorrect. That's actually a belief. Yeah. There's no, uh, there's, there's no. nothing neither empirical mm-hmm. nor anything that would yeah. link that uh, a God being good mm-hmm. would disallow for any pain. There's right, gonna, right. 
Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So continue. So uh, before I even talk about what we mean by evil, mm-hmm. right? God could have, you know, God can have a morally sufficient reason to allow evil. And this mm-hmm. is the entire point of the theodicy. Well, we sh- we and we would put it as yeah. uh, that God could have a wisdom. Exactly. Because right. he doesn't have to justify anything uh, mm-hmm. from a believer's standpoint, from yeah. our, our standpoint. He doesn't have to justify anything to begin with. Yeah. So we would put it as he can have a perfectly gr- a great wisdom right. behind the... Pr- Existence of pain. Exactly. Okay, keep and, going. And, you know, to me is like, why should we be so bold to claim we have reality figured out? You know, mm-hmm. uh, that the entire world is horrible and filled with suffering when we, like we haven't experienced the entire world mm. and our knowledge is limited. So we're working off this inductive idea that, you know, just because I've experienced so, you know, such and such evil that there's no good in the world at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this is, um, this is an incorrect line of reasoning. Mm-hmm. So, the second problem posed, mm-hmm. so the first problem is this idea that, you know, evil is inconsistent with a good God. That's an That's assumption. The first problem. Yeah. yeah. The second problem is uh, what I call the argument for quietism. Okay, what's okay? that? Uh, what justification do we have as human beings to fight evil if we believe in a God? So the argument goes like this. Every event that takes place is created by God. Okay. Yes or no? It's Correct. Crea- created. Correct. Therefore... If human beings rebel against an event, they are rebelling against God and his decree. Okay, so that is conflating the divine will for things to happen with the Mm -hmm. sacred law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's a spoiler alert. We're going to get in there. Okay. So, yeah, so this is the the argument made for quietism, which is like you shouldn't, you know, uh, you should silently bear oppression and suffering without doing anything to remedy it. That if you believe that everything's from God, then you would naturally have to become a quietist. Exactly. Okay. That you would not go against any oppression. And we see this, and like there's certain people that say this stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even popular people that say, you know, uh, who do you think gave you the trial? So yeah. you shouldn't do anything about it. Uh-huh. You should just, yeah. So if we fight against evil, this argument says, mm-hmm. injustice, disobedience, if we're fighting against evil, it means we're fighting against God because God created these acts of evil. Yep. Right? And he would never create anything that he disapproves of. True. Right? Because he's so powerful. Mm-hmm. So if you're opposed to a random person walking into your house and throwing, your, you, know, throwing you out, mm-hmm. then you're opposed to God. Because God let him do it. True. So as the argument goes, you should be happy with that. Mm-hmm. If you find the conclusion of that argument absurd, then it must mean that God is not all-powerful and not in control. Okay. So this line of reasoning is the second big question a theodicy must answer. Mm-hmm. What is the basis of our actions? Good How point. should we interpret what happens in the world? Does everything that happened indicate God's approval? Should we be silent in the face of evil because we are going against the divine decree? I'm going to tackle both of these big arguments regarding the problem of evil, but you got to keep listening to hear the okay. answers, inshallah. Good. <clears throat> so before I go into the proofs where I think the two arguments above are flawed, I want to tell you the conclusion. The two arguments being? the That evil is inconsistent with an all-good God. Okay, that one we, yeah. yeah. And, then and then the second one the being second that one you would have to be a quietist. Exactly. Okay, good. So <clears throat> I want to tell you the conclusion already. Okay. Uh, God is all-powerful. He has mm-hmm. full control over creation and history. He has complete freedom to do whatsoever he wishes mm-hmm. with his creation. But God is also wise. Mm-hmm. And it is, is in his nature to be all good and merciful. Mm-hmm. His mercy prevails over his wrath. Mm-hmm. And he takes care of his creation in the most excellent way. 
It is from this that we can confidently say that God is wise and allows evil to bring about significant goods. Okay, good. So we would say it's in his essence yeah. uh, to be uh, wise and merciful. Mm-hmm. All right, good. I got and, it. And that, that one line, if you, don't, if you don't remember anything from this podcast, take yeah. that one line away that God is wise and he allows evil to bring about significant goods. Okay. And okay, we, what if someone says to you, well, why couldn't he bring it out without the... Well, we have, we have proofs for this. Okay. So we have three significant proofs for why you should believe this. Okay. And the first is, and we're going to discuss all these proofs in depth. That's Good. the bulk of this podcast. The first is that we can find wisdom and purpose behind the evils that we face. We as human beings, they're meant to teach us something of the lordship of God over his creation, and they're meant to prepare us for ultimate bliss and flourishing for a life in heaven. Good. And the second proof we have is that the existence of evil demands from human beings responsibility and significant choices. This is us exercising the blessing of free will, which is a great good that could otherwise not exist without evil. And finally, upon reflection, we see that God's creation is overwhelmingly good, and it has good purposes and blessings which make it necessary that some evils exist. So we're going to be, in this uh, first part of the podcast, we're going to be looking at that first point, that uh, we can find wisdom and purpose behind the evils we face. And then in the second part of the podcast, we're going to be doing an in-depth analysis of what we mean by free will uh, and what we mean when we say that creation is overwhelmingly good. So so let's dig into it. Let's okay. give uh, some justification for these so, things that I'm saying. First heading here, preliminary, mm-hmm. voluntarism. Voluntarism. Okay, so, good. So, so before we go into the first significant proof and convince you that evil exists for a greater good, we should know even if God were to allow certain evils without a greater good, even if he were to do that, he cannot be judged as evil. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's, that's what I'm going to argue. Okay. The argument of most theodicies say that evil is unavoidable, meaning um, if we are to have goods that come with it, you know, uh, for example, consider the um, good of free choice, mm-hmm. right? Uh, can it ever exist without free, free will? I mean, you freely choosing something can't exist without free will. Correct. But free will means evil. Yeah. It's a package deal. So the evil coming from free will is unavoidable. Because you're, uh, mm-hmm. when you pick up, when you go get a job, mm-hmm. you've actually taken the job away from right. someone else. Right. Right? It's a, it's a logical pair. Like, when it when you, it has to happen. Yeah. When you make a product and you get a sale, Someone else didn't get a product. Yeah, exactly. You know, didn't get the sale. Right. Right. So and there's no way to have multiple people on the earth all having free will. Free will, right. And having no evil. Right. Right. So this is how we would say that free, like, evils are unavoidable. Right. It's absolutely unavoidable. So yeah. the Odysseys try to say that evils are unavoidable. That's what they try to yeah. uh, make the claim. And but, how would an atheist respond to that? Well, they would try to bring up a huge instance of suffering, mm-hmm. something that there's no way you could justify it. Like? Like children suffering. Oh, okay. You right. can find an explanation for that. Right. We're going to have an explanation, but they might, you know, they might think of something really, really twisted that if you even try to justify it in front of the public, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's something that... But um, again, they're going to that emotional, you're going to look right, right, like exactly. you're vicious yeah. and yeah. you don't care. Right, exactly. But yeah, and ultimately though... And I'm, not, I'm sure you're going to get to this, that mm-hmm. evil tends to show up only in the realm of that which has free will. Even yeah. secondary tertiary causes like deformed babies. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's the environment that we it's what we did to the environment because mm-hmm. you don't see like kittens 
yeah. being deformed yeah. or or way out in nature where there are animals with no human beings mm-hmm. right not even close to human environments yeah the rate of deformity right it's not the same is, is almost zero hmm. right interesting yeah okay and, so, and nursi has an explanation for you know why we see things that are half complete half de- deformed yeah. nursi would say why are you saying it's half complete Huh. So that's your bias. That's actually a great right? point. When an artist, uh, you know, draws a black line and yeah. you don't like the color black, does it doesn't mean that the artist, you know, <laughs> which that, is which is me. Whenever I, I had to pass by one of these uh, MoMA yeah. uh, Museum of Modern Art <laughs> pieces, right, and right. I think it's an absolute, you know, the garbage, right? garbage, yeah. and the guy is basically ripping us all off, yeah. right? Telling us it's the, the emotion <clears throat> in the triangle, and it's nothing mm-hmm. but a red triangle on a canvas, yeah. right? And he's telling, uh, uh, and then he writes about his feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he and he's telling us and we and 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 in the same world that they're arguing against the, the creation of God. Yeah. In that same world, if you were to rail against a piece of modern art and yeah. say it's a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. You would be put as someone who's applying your bias to the painting. Exactly. exactly. Right. And limiting and not yeah. truly understanding the nature of the painting. Exactly. One of these guys put um, uh, like a dead um, lamb. Goodness. In baby lamb in like form alive. Out. No, dead. Uh, oh, like baby. actual real. Baby oh yeah, like live, like a, a real baby lamb in formaldehyde, <laughs> and considered that to be art, right? And 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 there's a guy. There's another guy. Uh, oh, what's his name? He got like, like kind of a Latin name. Um, makes bizarre sculptures. Oh wow! Bizarre sculpture. They're all over England. Oh like, wow! Okay. I can't remember his name. It starts with an S. Something something Spanish, uh, Portuguese name or something. Oh. But uh, absolutely bizarre, mm-hmm. and every all the art today to me is absolutely bizarre. Yeah, it is. But if you say that, and these same people believe in yeah, this, yeah. these things, yeah, uh, problem of evil—that's their way out of God, right? Uh-huh. That you will be so you'll be hanged. Yeah, you'll be ostracized, uncultured, right? Uncultured, yeah. <laughs> right? Savage. Subhanallah. So Allah. that's an amazing po- proof from yeah. Said Norsi. That absolutely, is, that's your bias. Absolutely, in he the said, sight of Allah, it's perfect. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, why, why should you give a pass to a, a living human artist yeah. who doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have the type of knowledge that God has. Yeah. And you have this divine artist, uh-huh. you know, creating this amazing piece of art. And, yeah. and Said Nursi says, well, even if you look at deformed things, there's wisdom in it. Yeah. Uh, it gives you, because the human being, because he's stuck in time, he learns by comparison. That's true. Right? So, true. you know, if, if you didn't see a half completed, uh, let's say, um, uh, let's say a tree yeah. that didn't grow right. Well, how would you know what a full tree looks That's like? That's true. You would take the full tree for granted. Yeah. So I mean, I'm so, getting uh, ahead of myself. But, okay. Uh, this is uh, no problem. But it's it's really amazing. You can see why Nursi. That was a great. Social, that yeah. was a great point. Yeah. All right. Let's keep keep going. Um, so yeah. So theodicies they try to show that evil in the world is unavoidable. Mm-hmm. But see the the argument behind this reasoning to justify like you know why all this evil exists. Uh, I don't think it's sound. Hmm. And. It's that if God allowed some evil that mm-hmm. didn't have some hidden good, he himself would be evil and morally fault. This is the assumption that people yeah. have. Yeah. If God, if God allowed some evil, that's without, a reflection of Him. Yeah. yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that evil didn't have any wisdom at all. Yeah. Let's say, let's say, for example, uh, then it would somehow make God evil. Yeah. Right. So is this assumption correct? Hmm. But how can we say what God allows to happen in the world is a reflection of His character? On what grounds? Yeah. Right? What, on what grounds can you judge God? For example, God creates motion in the universe, mm-hmm. right? Things move, but He's not moving. That's true. Uh, he creates death in the universe, but He isn't dead. 
Yeah. True. All, All right. over the place. There are other examples. That's a yeah. great point. Exactly. That's a great point. So if he, for argument's sake. How about limitation? Uh, right. Limitation. Yeah. Doesn't mean God is limited. Yeah. So if he creates evil, I mean, it doesn't mean he's evil. Actually, one one of the ways <laughs> that I thought about this if I, uh, is that wherever you see a defect. Yeah. That there is perfection elsewhere, mm-hmm. right? Which would indicate that that defect must be on purpose. Right, right, right. right. So if I look at, for example, um, an mm-hmm. ant, I say, right. look how weak the ant is, right? Yeah. Well, I also look in the same world and I see a mountain, right, right, and I see the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Or if I see something as so dirty like a worm, like mm-hmm. an earthworm, yeah. gooey, dirty, you don't like it, right? Yeah. Or a centipede in your basement, yeah. right? But then you look at for example, uh, a human baby. Yeah. Like how, right. per- how beautiful, how cute that is, yeah. right? So as you see that, so the idea of uh, attributing mm. a limitation that you see in a creation, right? Right. And thinking, well, maybe that's God's limitation too. Yeah. Well, wait a second. He's actually refuted that through his other creations. Exactly. Yeah. By creating both, you know, for, yeah. for you to see like, a, like an exhibit. And it, and it makes you say, <clears throat> it must be permanent. Yeah. I mean, it must be on purpose. It must be yeah. by design. Exactly. Mm. So, uh, great so, point. Yeah, I mean that's it's an amazing point. Mm. But uh, there's more to this argument in, mm. in terms of um, voluntarism. So it's it's clearly a moral law among human beings mm-hmm. that if you can stop evil, you must. I mean, this is something that we have a moral law. Fitri. Fitri. Good. If a dentist can pull your teeth out without any pain at all, uh-huh. it would be immoral for him to cause you more pain on purpose. Correct. Right. Yeah. So this is a human moral law. Yeah. But if we reflect on the nature of moral laws and obligations, like where do these moral laws and obligations come from? You know, we realize that God as creator can't be judged by these laws. Mm-hmm. For example, if you were a toy maker and you decide to destroy some of the toys, why would you be morally at fault? True. Like you own them all. Right? True. In fact, you make the rules, sizes, dimensions, and manual for the toys to be used. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I'm a toy maker and I say that this toy can only use AAA batteries, the toy can't refuse. It's true. It has to do it. So this this type of limitation that a toy maker is putting on the toy is similar to the moral obligations that God puts on human beings. Mm-hmm. Right. The only difference is that human beings have a choice to disobey. And and what about uh, the you, you use the example of a toy maker? Mm-hmm. What about a novelist? Right. In which characters get hurt and die. Right. And of exactly. course, they're going to say, well, atheists, well, they don't feel it's all imagination. Mm-hmm. Right. But wait a second. I mean, um, create uh, uh, people do get attached. And, mm-hmm. and, and who's to say that the neurons yeah. that, okay, you, you the, the materialist will say, yeah. that's just in your imagination. Mm-hmm. But who's to say in some other worldview mm-hmm. that the things you imagine don't have a reality of an existence of right. their own. Exactly. Right. The yeah. idea of something li- being limited to your imagination, as yeah. if the imagination is nothing. Right. That too is that really a fact? Mm-hmm. Right. Just because we don't have an effect on it. Yeah. Right. And you have no way of knowing it. Yeah, you have so, no way of knowing that. Yeah. All right. Keep going. So I think, you know, this point of God owning everything in the universe. Mm-hmm. It's Very never. Important. It's never brought into the discussion. You know, whenever yeah. I hear um, these atheist debates. Like this idea of God owning everything. Yeah. It's not often spoken about. When Stephen Fry was ranting against God, it's as if God is a being among other beings. Yeah. Like a creature among other creatures. Yeah. And then, you know, this creature is causing me hurt, so I'm going to I'm gonna uh, blast, you know, blast him. Yeah, so but, there is actually none of your judgments apply at all. Right. 
Yeah. And we're gonna we're gonna get to that in a in a moment. You know what? Another thing you could look at. Yeah. You know how many um, players, um, amateur or or semi pro players or professionals yeah. have been their careers had gone down the drain. Yeah. For a couple out of bounds plays. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. A couple. You know. Uh, Pete Carroll throwing, uh, making a play. Great, funny guy, but making a play call that's an interception in the Super uh-huh. Bowl, right. right? Well, those rules are completely arbitrary. Right, right, right. And they hurt people. Uh-huh. You know, half the team goes home. I mean, half, half, uh, all, a, whole, a whole team and a whole yeah. group fan base are hurt because of out of bounds or interception, yeah. right? Or, riots, too. But, and who created these rules, right? So that's the rule of the game. No one, no one, when when an interception or, or out of bounds goes happens, no one says how immoral is the out of bounds, <laughs> right? Right. No one in a in a in soccer game in a, in a kid's soccer game, uh-huh. the mom's not going to say, "Oh well, why did you put the line here? Right. Add right, add right. a few more inches because right. my son now, now out of bounds, right? right? And now he's crying. Mm-hmm. So it's the same idea yeah. that the the rules are set yeah. by someone who is not to be questioned. Exactly. It's yeah. he's not to be questioned. And it's because yeah. he owns everything, right? Yeah. And if you own something, you know, you, you do as you please. Yeah, you, know? you have the and, right to set those yeah. rules. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to be discussing, you know, some people might be thinking, well, you know, then God is completely uncomprehensible and we can't say anything about it. Well, you know, we're going to be getting to that. And uh, okay. there are stuff that we know about God, right? But uh, we'll get into that. Okay. So, uh, I mean, it, it, there's an amazing verse in Surah Al Imran where Allah SWT says towards the end of the verse, Allah yuridu dhulman lil alameen. Yeah. Right? He doesn't do. He doesn't will injustice for uh, any of his creation. Yeah. And then the very next verse, you know, God says, So ownership with mercy. Exactly. Ownership yeah, with justice. Exactly. Good. So and he's showing us that he doesn't do injustice yeah. because he owns everything. Yeah. You know? So and injustice is termed as you messing around with something that you don't own. Yeah. Right. So. One could say that one of the Quranic responses to the problem of evil is that God does no oppression to his creation, again, because he owns everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, when Hitchens insults God by calling him a tyrant, the Quran's response is God owns everything. So, by definition, he can't be a tyrant. You know, a tyrant plays and imposes his will on other human beings. Mm -hmm. This is nothing, you know, he has no right to do this. Yeah. Right? Because he doesn't even own himself. Yeah. Right, so what right do you have to impose your will on other human beings? Yeah. Right, but God's moral stature and His frame of reference, and His being, is completely different. Mm. Right, and as for what's good or evil, uh, let us also talk about the subjective and egocentric nature of human judgments. Okay, before you continue, yeah, this whole point on God only everything you called it voluntarism. Yeah. Why is that? Why Why did uh, you call it that? It's It's the I, I'm not sure where the word originates from, but this is this is the philosophical position that uh, that uh, if you believe that God is not obligated by any moral laws and He's beyond judgment, mm-hmm. this is called voluntarism. So the the Ashari traditional Ashari position is in philosophy called voluntarism. Okay, and I think I'm suspecting it's because you know God does as He wills, like He um, He volunteers volunteers I, I don't know <laughs> Vol- volition volition yeah yeah there you go okay i think that's probably it volition right. so in terms of um let's get back to human subjectivity okay now second point yeah 
uh, being human subjectivity. Mm -hmm. All right, let's hear it. So if you're living, uh, if you're living in America, mm -hmm. and you say that infanticide is evil, huh? um, now would a Roman or a Hindu from three thousand years ago say the same thing? I mean, they wouldn't. I mean, Romans saw it perfectly morally legitimate mm -hmm. that if you had a disabled baby, you can leave that baby out in the out in the open in the mountains mm. and just let it die. I mean, and they logically, you know, they logically argued for this. Yeah, it's, that it's an like, extra stomach and yeah. for no benefit. They're exactly. not going to bring any benefit back. Exactly. Like the Jahidi Arabs too. Yeah. And yeah. and the Christian, you know, the Christians were so radical because they said that every life is, um, every life is worth saving. That was radical. Yeah. That was super radical for the wow. Romans. Um, so, you know, say that a human child, you know, was abandoned on an island, mm -hmm. right? And he grew up among the animals without seeing human society. Mm -hmm. Like, would his idea of good and evil be the same as ours? Completely, absolutely, completely, not. absolutely different. Yeah. Um, so, so consider this point. Some of the things that we say are evil are actually from a human perspective. Yeah. You know. Um, so, <laughs> for example, is it evil for the flower to have thorns? Yeah. You know, not for the flower. That's true. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's benefit. <laughs> right, exactly. That's so, how it gets protection from deer. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, somebody else tweeted about this um, before I prepared this podcast. But is it evil for the shark to have sharp teeth with bacteria in them? Yeah. Like not for the shark, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Not for the shark. It might yeah. be bad for you. Yeah. Right. So um, so and, some and and how about uh, mowing our lawn? Right. How right. many how many ants are killed and right. bugs are killed when we mow our lawn? Right. But if you don't mow your lawn, right. that's hard. That's un being mm -hmm. uncultured, yeah. right? But if you if you want every evil punished, then there would be no human <laughs> beings living on yeah. this earth, right? So yeah. so some evils are relational. I'm not saying every evil is right, but I'm saying some evils are relational, yeah. meaning we consider them evil from our perspective. Yeah. I'm not saying all of ethics is subjective. Yeah. You know, this is something that relativists say. You know. That uh, perennialists would say the same thing that all ethics are subjective. That you know different cultures believe different things. Right? That's yeah. not what I'm saying. I'm saying that at least some yeah. are subjective. And and if you consider the Earth as a living uh, organism, yeah, it, it has functions that it needs to do by itself. Yeah, right? absolutely. So if you were to be choking right now, uh, and then you someone did the Heimlich on you and you vomited on top of my documents, right? Right. Now I wouldn't consider that to be bad. Because your life is more important than my documents. I can right. just reprint them, right? right. right. It'll, it'll, it might be a hassle, mm -hmm. but your life is better. Well, when we think about things like tsunamis and things, the earth doesn't has never shown itself to be a willful creature yeah. that sp splashes its water on purpose on you to, yeah. to hurt you, exactly. right? Anything that happens as a natural function on the earth is necessary for the health of this organism, right? right? Especially so, with climate change. Like if you're yeah. screwing the earth up, yeah. It's gonna. It's like a sick thing. It's like feed. You're feeding it junk food yeah. for for years and years and years. Now yeah. that thing needs to vomit. <laughs> right. Right. So earthquakes need to happen. It's almost like the earth like cracking its knuckles or something. Uh -huh. right? right. Now and you're like a little being living mm -hmm. on the edge of that knuckle. Right. Right. And then when that knuckle gets cracked, mm -hmm. then you cry. But right. wait a second. For the earth, that is necessary. Right. Mm -hmm. That uh, earthquake is necessary. Volcanoes necessary. Mm -hmm. If, if there, how many microorganisms exist around our nose right. or in the air? Mm -hmm. When we sneeze, we totally destroy it. Right, right, right. <laughs> so uh, you can imagine that the Earth, yeah. for sure, we know for sure it is not a willful creation yeah. that 
goes around hitting people, yeah. knocking people yeah. down, spitting fire through volcanoes. Just because it hates us. Because yeah. it hates yeah. us for fun. Mm-hmm. So it's it, these things are happening for a reason. Absolutely. And we may have happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's completely, I mean, Nursi's complete agreement with that. Yeah. Because our creation is much larger than just us. Right? Yeah. And as we'll get in later on, that like just having a life that, you know, you live up to 70 years old and you get a 401k, like that's not, that's not the entire reason for yeah. the, the creation of the world. You know, there's something deeper. Um, okay. So, What's yeah, so next? let's get to this um, section on obligations and natural laws where okay. we're going to break down like how exactly we get moral laws. Like where do we get moral laws? All from? right. So this is yeah. another section, obligations yeah. and natural laws. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's hear it. So we all agree that preventing evil mm-hmm. from a human perspective is something we can all agree on. Right. Every culture is going to agree on this. Yeah. It's, there's no subjective ethic that says, you know, you should let somebody suffer just because you like it. You yeah. Know? Nobody says that. So this is a moral obligation on human beings. Yeah. But see, we agree on this because it's something called natural law, right? Okay. Which and is what, fitra or what? It's like fitra. It's like fitra. So ethical obligations come in two forms. Okay. So you have natural laws, okay? You have obligations. Now, obligations are those things that you take on voluntarily. Okay. So you didn't need to take it on, but yeah. you take it on voluntarily. So it's like a, you have to keep your promise now. Contract, yeah. Yeah. But natural laws are those things that it demands you as a human, you have to fulfill it, even if you don't agree with it. Yeah. So like, you, like for example... Seeing someone being uh, throbbed. Right. Uh, or, yeah. for example, if somebody... Let's say you don't like somebody yeah. and you want to kill them. Yeah. So you can't say, well, I didn't agree not, not to, to kill. kill. Oh, right? I see what you're saying. Right? Yeah. So, but you're still bound by it, even if you don't agree with it. I see. Human society is going to hold you accountable. Yeah. Right? So you have to, you have to be obligated with it. Yeah. So that's actually a fun, a funny. I mean, in a secular world, right? Why would natural law not be contested? Uh, well, philosophically. Well, we're gonna get to that. We're, okay. we're gonna say um, yeah. uh, how these secularists define natural law, okay. and you'll see that the way they define it, by definition, you can't apply it to God. Yeah. Right? Okay. So even with their own definition, hmm. right? So, um, so where do we get this type of natural law from? Mm-hmm. Okay, there there are two opinions on this. Okay, uh, one is the secular opinion, the other is the the Muslim, the religious opinion that these natural laws, obligations, are commands of God. Okay, so you can't disobey them, even if you don't want to, because there there are some commands that are so basic that other humans will have to hold you accountable. Okay, right? so uh, I mean, you would know better this than, than I do in fiqh. Yeah, like if somebody commits murder, they can't say that oh I didn't agree uh, with the command. Murder. Yeah. Right? Like even if he's a disbeliever, you hold him accountable. You're right. right. It doesn't matter. It yeah. doesn't matter. No. So, um, from from the religious perspective, uh, natural law comes from the command of God. Yeah. God makes the rules, like we said before, mm-hmm. right? And built it in us. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, God commands us to prevent avoidable evil. Mm. He provi- uh, commands us to prevent evil, but He's not held to that standard. Yeah. Right. So He commands a specific law towards humans. He might command a specific law towards um, sharks. Mm-hmm. He might command a specific law towards gravity. Correct. Right? Yeah. So he can't be bound by the specific law of sharks mm-hmm. or specific law of humans. Mm. Or spe- you know, he's the creator. Yeah. You know? Like there are yeah. all these little laws in his creation. He's not bound by them. Yeah. Right? So, uh, so that's, um, that's from the religious perspective. Mm. But Make, even, that makes total sense. Yeah. Because a person who is uh, trying to absolutize our yeah. own natural law. Exactly. Well, cats and kittens and fish mm-hmm. 
have their own natural right, law. I mean, right. fish, uh, if they're hungry, mm-hmm. they eat their own babies. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, certain fish. Yeah. So yeah. if you're a supernaturalist, I mean, yeah. let's follow nature, right? Yeah. Let's, eat our, <laughs> let's eat our babies. So, but even from the secular perspective, um, look at how John Rawls, John Rawls is like a famous American philosopher. Yeah. So um, look at how he defines it. I mean, he's he's big. Like he's, uh, I'm pretty sure Alex knows about Still it. Still alive? Uh, no, he's he's dead. Okay. So um, what did he say? So he said that, so he, he, here's a complicated quote. So he says, natural laws obtain between all as equal moral persons mm-hmm. and that they are principles that free and rational persons concerned to further their own interests would accept in an initial position of equality as defining the fundamental terms of their association. Mm-hmm. What the heck is, does yeah. that mean? Right? <laughs> uh, these philosophers, yeah. Yeah, that's how they talk. Well, he's got a justified <laughs> job. <laughs> okay. So, so what he's saying is that like um, if we all lined up for a race, yeah, you know, natural laws are those things like what would those things that we could all agree on yeah. that would keep the race fair? Correct. And further our own interest yeah. and chance of winning. I got right? you. Like so, no pushing. Exactly. Et cetera. Yeah. yeah. So you can't you can't say so even if you push, you initially agreed on, you know, no pushing. Yeah. Because every rational person is gonna choose those things that's gonna further their own interest. I got you. If all of us are equal, what are the rules of the game mm-hmm. that would make life fair for everybody? Right? So this is what natural law is, according to John Rawls. Mm. But see, like God doesn't even fall under this definition because this is considering rational human beings. And their association. Exactly. And he doesn't have an associate. He doesn't have an associate. Uh, and he's not a human being to begin with. It's a great point. Right? Great point. So yeah. even from a secular perspective, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, it, it's, uh, it fails. Yeah. Right? That's so a great God point. God is not bound by natural laws. Yeah. Right? The natural laws require mm-hmm. others, yeah. equals. Yeah, equals. That's a right. great point. And God doesn't have an equal. That is a great point. And it's natural laws motivated by human interest. Right? Yeah. Now, what and need. Int- need, right. Yeah. So so what possible interest yeah. or need could the creator of everything have? And the ability to be harmed. Right. Uh, to, uh, to avoid harm. And weakness. Well, need weakness. is weakness. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, these are, these are some That's of the things. That's a great point. And, great point. Um, you know, so so he's outside of the realm of uh, natural laws, right? Good. And and we're not saying that he's outside of the realm of all natural laws. For example, there might be a natural law. Um, actually, yeah, I, I'd probably say that that he's outside of all natural laws. Yeah. But to be conservative, except the law that he applied on himself. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And 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 yeah. for people out there, what is impossible for Allah Taala mm-hmm. is only that which is. Linguistically and rationally impossible, such as a jumble up of words, yeah, exactly. such as a can a square become a circle? A, yeah. a, 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 can there be a square circle? Yeah, or a four sided shape that has zero sides? Yeah. It's basically a jumble up of jumble nonsense, up of words. right? That doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean yeah. anything. Right. So that's the first thing we would say that's impossible for Allah to add because Allah is above silliness and and not yeah. and this type of uh, inconsistency and nonsense. So that the question itself is invalid. The second reason thing that is impossible for Allah is what Allah made impossible on himself. Exactly. Which is, in that case, uh, there's no natural laws upon him, mm-hmm. but there's what he made impossible on himself, which, which is Which are obligations. Yeah. Obligations. Obligations. He took on obligations. Yes, that second type of exactly, law. Exactly, that second yeah. type of law. Obligations so that he, he would took not on, oppress. Exactly. So yeah, he took on obligations on himself yeah. that he said, I'm not going to break them. Beautiful Yes, katab ala nafsi. Right. Yeah. So, so he entered into this mm-hmm. uh, from himself. Exactly. It's not rationally impossible for him to do otherwise, mm-hmm. but he is telling us that he yeah. has um, 
uh, decreed it upon yeah. himself. And, and he didn't need to, right? Yeah. Because the remember, obligations are those things that you voluntarily enter Voluntarily into. go into. So, yes. so we're not saying, you know, some Maturidis might be freaking out. Yeah. But we're not saying that God is like bound, right? Yeah. We're saying that he has a nature and that's just how he is, Yeah. right? We're not saying that there's some external moral law that's over him, right? Mm-hmm. We're just saying that he wrote these things on himself. He said yeah. that I'm going to do X mm-hmm. and he's, he can't break that, Yeah. right? He, um, we, yeah, and he yeah. won't break. He can't he because can't. he won't. He won't. Yeah, and and that his he can't because he's already said it, and his word right. is true. Yeah, right. And if I God, would I would also put that it's logically impossible, and some people might get triggered by this, yeah. but I would say it's logically impossible for God to lie. Yeah, right. And some people might be well. That's the Ashari position anyway. Oh, is it? Is it, it is. Really? Yeah, oh, okay. it's impossible for Allah to lie. Okay, it's not okay. even a possibility oh, because a lie is uh, motivated by fear. Mm-hmm. It's a form of trickery that's uh, only done out of a weakness. Right. Uh, one must be threatened mm-hmm. in order to do it, to to tell a lie. Exactly. And a lie is the opposite of al haq and Beautiful. his name is al haq Al haq right? Yeah. And if he if he were to lie, let's say there's a possibility that yeah. he could lie, theoretical possibility. We have we have no reason to trust anything that the prophet says. That's what, that's exactly it. If Allah, <laughs> if it even was even possible right. for Allah to tell a lie, right. then the whole Quran is undermined. Exactly. Everything's undermined. Right. Yeah. Like if the Quran, it was possible that fifty percent possible yeah. that Quran is a lie. Like, yeah. you know, so so it, so is the, the the that Allah tells the truth mm-hmm. in all things is not something He obligated upon Himself. Right. It's That's just it's his part his of essence. His, yeah. It's part of His nature. Just yeah. like Allah is, his you know, part of His nature yeah. immaterial. Right. Yeah. It's part of His nature that He doesn't tell lies. Yeah. You know. So and and we think that somehow certain moral obligations are you know created by humans. Well, yeah. they're not. You yeah. know, s- certain moral obligations are divine. Yeah. You know, justice is something divine. Like, you know, uh, mercy is something divine. Yeah. Right? Uh, what we see in the world is simply just a, a pale reflection mm-hmm. of that divine justice and that divine mercy. Yeah. Right? So if we're saying that God is by nature merciful, it's just God himself. We're not yeah. saying that, you know, there's this external mercy thing that's yeah. overpowering him. Right? We're not saying Now, that. one thing about um, nature, I would use the word essence. Essence, yeah. Instead, simply because... When I when you translate nature into Arabic, mm-hmm. um, it implies that that's what it was imprinted upon oh, someone. Got you, got yeah. you, got you. Okay, so now you have the next section is how then is God good? Right. So we did this. We talked about the tsunami. We talked about should we even offer um, an explanation? An explanation. We mm-hmm. talked about a world without evil. We talked about Badiou Zaman, Said Nursi, and then we got into the significant proofs. Right, the formal statement and its problem. We talked about quietism. Uh, God is wise, and now we're on three significant proofs. The first one was uh, obligations and nature, natural laws. Mm-hmm. What was this? Uh, the the first significant proof is that um, that God is all wise. Like there's a purpose behind it. God is all wise. Yeah. Okay. So now we're doing a preliminary to that uh, significant proof. Okay. Right, because that proof is trying to justify God's actions okay and here we're trying to say that even if God created evils that are that have no wisdom in them yeah he's not evil so we want to get that out of the way before we even jump into the proofs human human subjectivity yeah obligation uh, obligations and natural laws and now how then is God good right uh, so far we've been discussing how God's not applicable to any standard and you know he's completely outside human judgment mm-hmm. so a person might ask, you know, how is God good then? Yeah. 
how can we even say God is good? Mm-hmm. He's not good. He's not evil. Okay, it's completely unknowable. Yeah. Irrelevant, right? Mm-hmm. But this is not true. Uh, if uh, like uh, while we can't judge God using natural human laws, like we get a sense of Him from creation and revelation, uh-huh. right? And these tell us that God is good because He voluntarily fulfills His obligations, mm-hmm. the things that He takes on Himself. Yeah. And he fulfills his obligations because God is truth. And when God makes a promise, it's a logical impossibility that he break it. Mm-hmm. And God voluntarily chooses to promise us reward for mm-hmm. good actions that we do. He's just with his creation. He takes perfect care of the cosmos, gives life to things when he has no need of them. Mm-hmm. He punishes the unjust. He mm. never judges us beyond our capacity. So And lets many unjust injustices yeah. of our personal injustice go. Yeah. And and for such a being of such power to do all these things, I mean, clearly this shows his goodness. That's right? true. So this is the way we can say that God is good. Yeah. And and the fact that idea that uh, that Allah Taala has no size, no big and small, is no right. physical nature, mm-hmm. but we see big and small in right. the world. Right. Which actually gives us a point. Well, wait, Subhanallah, that uh, this whole cosmos and the size of these mountains, even, mm-hmm. and yet Allah Taala is creating uh, a chipmunk. Right. Right. It tells you something mm. about the lutf, right, of the, the creator. The delicacy. The delicacy. The, the, yeah. It's like the fine stroke of the Yeah, artist, exactly. Right? It's amazing. Subhanallah. Okay. Um, Next you have soft volunteerism. Yeah. So Explain. this is, I'm trying to do some damage control here. Okay. Because people, people might think, you know, when I'm discussing volunteerism, God's completely out of the question and you can't know anything about him. Mm. So don't even ask, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm not defending this hardcore type of volunteerism where mm-hmm. we say, you know, God's completely uncomprehensible. Yeah. You can't say anything about him morally, that all good and evil is arbitrary, mm-hmm. right? It's just arbitrary, that God just chose that certain thing is good, certain thing is evil. Yeah. For example, unbelief. Mm-hmm. You know, God just chose that unbelief is bad. Yeah. And uh, belief is good. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to defend that, right? And I kind of think it's completely incoherent, mm-hmm. you know, because this would mean that Belief has no intrinsic value. Yeah. That that him sending prophets, him sending revelation, you know, none of this is, it's just arbitrary. Yeah. There could be another world where shaitan, na'udhu billah, is the victorious one. Mm. And God's rewarding him with jannah. Mm. <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah, so if, you, if you think everything's arbitrary. Yeah. yeah. So this is completely incoherent to me. So... So that you're um, saying that there is a degree absolutely. of rational comp- uh, un- uh, ability yeah. to understand rational or yeah. comprehensibility for... His well, actions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and the otherwise we'd go crazy. We'd go crazy. Yeah. We wouldn't be able to trust anything. Yeah. Right? And the thing that gives us information about his actions and why he does things is the Quran. Yeah. Uh, so Allah tells us how his character is in the Quran. Mm. Now if Allah says Katab al Rahma in the Quran and you say, you know, it's a possibility that uh, he could have been a tyrant uh, and Sakfrullah uh, and uh, his wrath could have prevailed over his mercy. Yeah. Like Allah says that yeah. his mercy prevailed over his wrath. That, yeah. that should be the, the, the end of it. At the end of it, right. Yeah. So I'm not subscribing to a hardcore version of voluntarism. Mm-hmm. Like there are some moral laws yeah. God himself follows, mm-hmm. right? Because these are within his essence, yeah. right? They're not, you know, they're not external. It's his essence to be just, mm-hmm. to be merciful, to say truth. Um, it's his essence that, you know, justice, mercy, and truth are virtues because God is just, merciful, and truth. Yeah. There are virtues because of that. Mm. Um, so there are universal moral judgments, like speaking truth at the correct time and place mm-hmm. is good. 
And these are universal things because they are inherent in God's nature. They are how He is. This is why, as we'll see later on, when we discuss optimism, we find this quality is beautiful. So, God is not arbitrary. It doesn't make logical sense to impose a subjective, human-centric, natural law onto God. But it also doesn't make sense to say that God is arbitrary, mm-hmm. right? So, after this section, I want to talk about quietism. I didn't put a label on this section here. But remember how we talked about um, that second problem posed by the, uh, the, the, the problem of evil, yeah. which says that you shouldn't rebel against evil because God does everything? Quietism, yeah. yeah. So I want to uh, take a look at that now. All right, refutation of mm-hmm. quietism. Good, yep. let's hear it. So, <clears throat> so God allows evil to exist in the world. It's quite clear. Uh, it's not that he's impotent to stop it, right, mm-hmm. as we discussed with voluntarism. He can even possibly allow avoidable evils, like even evils that have no wisdom. Yeah. And he cannot be held to moral judgment by human beings. But doesn't this mean that God approves of the evil that is present in the world? Hmm. Right? Um, for example, if God has allowed such a person, like if, if a person takes you as a slave, mm-hmm. and God allowed that person to take you as a slave, what reason do you have to fight against the slave master? Right? Mm-hmm. And so these are, these are all these types of absurd questions. Right? Yeah. Now, all the schools of Islamic theology, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I got this from Dr. Sherman Jackson's book. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I haven't read Arabic. Mm-hmm. So um, all the schools of Islamic theology unanimously agree mm-hmm. that just because God allows something to exist mm-hmm. does not mean that it deserves his love and approval. Totally true. The true meaning of God's power, like this is why God is all-powerful. Yeah. It's that it's because he, he doesn't just create things that he loves and uh, deserves his love he also create things that he doesn't uh, he doesn't love correct like disbelief you know mm-hmm. god allows his creation to reject him and commit yeah. shirk mm-hmm. you know god allows satan shaitan to fight against his prophets mm-hmm. god allows d- believers to experience hardship at the hands of kuffar you know mm-hmm. god allowed that the prophet be defeated at uhud mm-hmm. you know can can anyone honestly say that god loves these things that of he course. loves sh- shaitan or astaghfirullah yeah. Right, of course. But he, you know, he allows them to exist out of the generosity of his power. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, you know, he gives them respite because he's all powerful, mm. because he's forgiving with his creation, because he doesn't compromise their free will. You know, he has in, a greater in, purpose. In human, uh, in our own discussions, people yeah. say that if you shut down commentary that you don't like, mm-hmm. it's a sign of weakness. Ah. Uh, right. Right, right, right. Like if right. You, if all if you only surround yourselves with people who just say yes, 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 right, right, right. right that's a sign of a weak king. Subhanallah. Right. When he surrounds himself with people who are, you know, uh, you know, be be say what you want, right? Yeah. That's actually a sign of strength. Right. Right. Because I'm gonna win anyway. Yeah, because you're not worried. Right. So the idea of creating a a being that has free will to disobey him, mm. which is the worst of evils, right? right? The worst of bad things. Uh, that he dis- disapproves of. And in fact, Allah doesn't dislike anything really except for sin not followed up by Tawbah. Mm. Right? Mm. As in terms of what Allah does not love. Right, right. It's those qualities. Right. So. Allah. Yeah. So yeah, it, it really shows his power. So we call this irada uh, konia, mm. The will for the cosmos. What's yeah. willed in the universe. Yeah. Is one thing and irada shar'iyah. 
mm. right? His will for all us to follow as yeah. a law, as they're completely another thing. Yeah. And if you look at it, secular humanists have converged the two. Because mm. they have no sacred law, mm. there's nothing sacred. Right, right, right. So what is objective? Mm. Well, what's happening? Statistics are objective, right? right, right? right. It, it's happening that people are doing X, Y, Z. Therefore, morality should adapt to, to that because right. how could you say that you're right and all those people are wrong? Yeah, you should follow the crowd. So there, mm. so morality evolves in secular humanism based just on one thing, mm. what's happening in the world, mm. right? If it's happening, it becomes morally, okay, acceptable. Mm. Right. And right. to go against it would offend those people. So you can't go against it. Right. Mm. So and, and that offense would be a pain to them. And therefore, uh, to 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 reject something or yeah. disparage something. Right. That harms many people. Right. Harms, offends all those people mm. should now be considered repre- morally reprehensible. Right. Right. right? So mm. they've converged the two. Mm. That's a good point. That's yeah. a good point. And there's actually like big philosophical words for what you just said. That yeah. The irada kauniya. Irada kauniya, yeah. what Allah allowed to happen in the world. Yeah. And irada shar'iya, okay. which is the law that Allah wants us to follow in the world. Nice. Yeah. So and, is... yeah and, and the beauty is irada shar'iya never uh, d- doesn't change. Right. Irada, the, the sacred law doesn't change. Mm-hmm. No matter how far off the irada kauniya is, well, right and wrong will not change yeah of course there's going to be flexibility and room yeah right because the prophet said the moment is like the uh the blade of grass mm. if the wind blows he blows with it right yeah east and if it blows west he goes west west mm. but he never leaves his po- its root oh, right oh. it's not too hard that it'll crack and it's not too unrooted that it'll just it float, float away, away. Right. so um oh. uh, that stuff aside um Irada Sharia doesn't change. So we can we can look up to role models from the past, mm-hmm. like Omar ibn Khattab, Abu Bakr Siddiq, uh, right. all those Sahadin Sa- 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 Ayubi, right? The virtues are still relevant. Yeah, whereas right. in the if you look at uh, in the world, in the universe of moral relativism, right, or mm-hmm. evolution of morality, well, in a few years, George Washington will be like a horrible guy, right? <laughs> Give it some time, <laughs> right. and you'll find that Thomas Jefferson set them... Give it some time. The whole con- the Constitution will have things in it. It's already like that. It's already they're already Thomas turning Jefferson known slaves. Yeah, they're like already that. tearing people's names down. So yeah. then you end up being completely unrooted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like your sense of morality, no one in the universe shared it at right. all, <laughs> right? It just so, keeps changing too. And that so, and that if that's the case, yeah. And those were heroes who built a civilization, mm-hmm. right? Then for sure, my great grandchildren and great great grandchildren will look at me. As a uh, right, uncouth, right, yeah. right? Uh, immoral guy, mm-hmm. because it's just a matter of time. Yeah. Um, so that's a good point. Now, next point you have. So, uh, so I think um, what we've discussed so far is enough to destroy this charge of quietism. Mm-hmm. Right? That yep. there's no, there's no problem for God to allow uh, evil mm-hmm. for some greater purpose, even yeah. if He disapproves of evil. Correct. Uh, and you know this is out of his generosity and power. Mm-hmm. So there's no logical necessity that just because there's something evil that God created yeah. means that you should love that evil, right? Correct. We're not we're not commanded to love shaitan. Allah tells us Himself that shaitan is uh, is an enemy. Correct. Right? So this uh, refutation of quietism, I think, you know, that's sufficient. Mm-hmm. And Umar an, he refuted a person. Uh, quietus, mm-hmm. you know, he once found a man drinking alcohol, mm-hmm. and the man said, "God decreed it so." Yeah. 
right? And to which Omar responded, <laughs> that God decreed that I give you lashes as well. You know? <laughs> Subhanallah. So, That's amazing. Yeah. So if evil actions are allowed to occur in the world, out yeah. of God's decree, our response to them, our is fight, also God's yeah. decree. and struggle against them is also decreed by God. Yeah. Beautiful. And they Beautiful. get God's approval and they get God's reward. Beautiful. Subhanallah. So, Subhanallah. so um, you know, there's a, there's a technical term for irada kauniya. Mm-hmm. So we call that deontological decree. Uh, sorry, sorry, ontological decree. Yeah. Meaning what actually exists. Yeah. And then God ha- also has a deontological decree, which is the sh- uh, Sharia, mm-hmm. what God uh, approves of, or what God wants His creation to do. As law. Yeah. yeah. And these two things are different. Mm-hmm. They don't need to be the same thing, as no. you as you mentioned. Yeah. So um, let's do just a very quick review. Um, actually, I think we already did a review. We could just yeah, go we on. can continue. Significant proof one: wisdom behind evil. Behind evil. Yep. Critical. So this is uh, this is the meat mm-hmm. of the podcast. So, shout out to Sister Suman Razik, by the way, for Who's sharing that? her. Uh, she she's a friend of I don't know if you know Waqar. Waqar uh, from from uh, Britain. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's actually like my first oh, really? British friend after from from the internet. Oh, mashallah. Basically, mashallah. Yeah. So she she shared a, she wrote a dissertation on theodicy. Oh wow! And uh, she shared that with me. So oh, her critical. material on Nursi was excellent. I mean, the, wow. the bibliography really helped. Cause, that's, uh, great. that's great. Sometimes like the the references yeah. are like really useful because you can dig you know further down and yeah. Um, so it was super helpful. Right. So God can do whatever He wishes using His power. We've made that clear. Yeah. Um, but we want to argue that God has another attribute. That directs his power, which is which is wisdom. He doesn't create anything pointlessly. Yeah, and we said this before. Even if he were to, uh, he could not be morally judged. Correct. Uh, but you know, some people have this um, reservation of saying, "Oh, God has wisdom in things," uh, you know. But God does have wisdom in things. I mm-hmm. mean, we read in the Quran, "Afa hasibtum annama khalaqnakum abath." Correct. Right. Correct. So uh, who who would have? Um, uh, you're saying that atheists would have uh, that, well, probably hardcore, hardcore Asharis would would question what they would say that God has wisdom or reason behind anything they do, like anything He does. Of course, He does. Yeah, uh, yeah, He does. But who you know, would object to that? Uh, hardcore Asharis would probably object. object. Yeah, <laughs> saying what they would say that like God has no reasons for His actions. Like you cannot even put any reason behind His actions. See, the reason and wisdom are different things, though. Yeah. Reason is like implying being compelled. Right, right. Right? Which is very different from having a wisdom. Yeah, and this is what the Maturidis would argue. We believe that he's not compelled yeah. by anything either. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, most Tashuris don't have a problem with this. I'm just yeah. making it clear for. Their, so their to be compelled is completely different than yeah. to, 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 have to have a wisdom. Yeah. Right. Okay, and, continue. And so, uh, you know, we read this in the Quran. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you think that this is just. Uh, yeah. That this creation uh, that we created va- vain? for yeah. for vanity, right? Uh-huh. So Allah Himself tells us that creation is not vain. Yeah. So He's telling us He has wisdom. So in this section, I'm going to be providing what's called an optimism theodicy. Huh. So an optimism theodicy tries to show that the evils in creation, there's wisdom behind them, right? And remember, um, there are two types of evils. Mm-hmm. There's moral evils, things done by human beings, and there are natural evils, things beyond our control. The stuff that Stephen Fry was so horrified at, you know, deformed babies, tsunamis, all this other stuff. I think that's actually still in our control. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just indirectly. Yeah, the I like mean, through Nusi the environment that, that we've yeah. corrupted. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean, definitely. 
and so this optimism theodicy tackles the um, it doesn't talk about free will as much it, it's going to be talking about those things that seemingly are out of our control that happen to us right okay and we're going to be talking about free will in the second part of the podcast tsunamis and whatnot yeah okay so uh so let's take a an in-depth look um so why an optimism theodicy like mm. why w- do we want to give this theodicy well i mean it's pretty it's chronic mm-hmm. know, i would say and you know and because voluntarism it doesn't solve the problem completely yeah you know uh, okay we're absolved you know god is not evil all right great but i you know i suffer yeah so what's the explanation for that mm. you know you saying god is not evil doesn't solve that yeah. you have to still provide an explanation for you know why do i suffer mm. okay god's not evil but what's the point of my suffering right yeah. so this is why uh, you know we got to do 50% more of the work mm-hmm. with this optimism theodicy okay so uh, you know to give you a better idea of why the voluntarism itself doesn't work is imagine you have an incredibly powerful boss yeah right voluntarism and is that just to saying that, well, he owns you, so just exactly. does it when he wants. Exactly. Okay. Um, so let's say you have an incredibly powerful boss. It, it, we, hold on yeah. a second. Yeah. Now, it doesn't work if a person is weak in his trust in Allah. But what reason does he have to trust in Allah? That's, that's really the question. Okay. Which this theodicy tries to solve. Tries to give. Tries, tries to, to offer. Give, yeah. Okay, fine. And because let's say you have a powerful boss yeah. at your company, and all you know is that he's powerful and he controls everything yeah. he owns you he can do whatever he wants and then let's say you make a mistake yeah in your work and then your boss asked uh, you know asked to meet you yeah now what's going to be going through your head when you go to meet your boss yeah you're going to be nervous you're going to be super nervous you're going to yeah. be like this guy's going to destroy me he's going to kill me yeah but this is not the way a mu'min uh meets with Allah SWT, that's true right so yeah. <laughs> you know that's why voluntarism doesn't solve the entire problem yeah so um, yeah. So in the same way, we're saying we need a little more than you know. You can't just judge God, yeah. right? We need the Quranic God isn't some distant entity that's uh. completely oblivious about humans. He's wise. He has a directed purpose. Yeah. He creates. Uh, he cares for his creation. Uh, he has the name of Rub. So like, now Rub you're Rub. now you're moving from uh, the philosophical discussions. Yeah. To what Muslims actually believe about Allah Right this, From the Quran This wisdom uh, This um, optimism theodicy Okay right? Let's hear it So um, So let's look at Let's look at first um, Why purpose and wisdom Is fundamental to God mm-hmm. Okay um, Well first look at how important They are to us mm. Right Like we We go through So many of us might suffer A lot in our childhoods We might be growing up With a lot of defects And uh, bad habits But then something clicks and we get this purpose behind our life mm-hmm. and it, it sort of transforms all of that dark past into something almost beautiful yeah. right? there was this MMA fighter um, uh, the mixed martial arts fighter yeah. he was one of the best Bass Rutten uh, that's what his was name. his deal um, so he uh, he was bullied ever since he was a kid and he had like all these sicknesses that forced him like to hit tiles like to hit anything just so he could feel pain because like really? his entire body was filled with this itching and whatever right so uh, so he was a very difficult kid growing up but the thing is that that um, that childhood prepared him to be one of the greatest fighters that ever lived really and he he's a Catholic now he's he's you know he's a much more decent person much uh, pretty nice and he says that if I when I look back at my uh, childhood 
that it actually prepared me for the type of person I am today. So, so you connect the dots backwards. Exactly. That's what it is. Yeah. So, so he has this wisdom and purpose in his own life. Yeah. Right. Um, so human beings are driven by purpose. They're driven by wisdom. Yeah. So this is why we're asking, you know, what purpose does the evil that we experience have? Yeah. Right. This is why we ask that question. So in a sense, the the idea that of not knowing uh-huh. actually heightens and increases Absolutely. the value of it mm-hmm. years later. Yeah. And when that's heightened and increased at that point, yeah. it it for it compels a person to make sure that the next generation doesn't make the same yeah, mistake. Exactly. It's like I was stuck on this for like thirty years. Right. I want to make sure you don't make the same mistake. And they're very passionate about it yeah. because of you know because the, because they were it was limited to them. They they didn't have that knowledge mm-hmm. for years. Yeah. Right. Well, now they're passionate about protecting others, like an entire generation. Like they yeah. could, it's almost like a slingshot. Them being slung back, yeah. That for 20, 30 years you couldn't solve this problem. Now you can solve it. It slings them forward. They might solve that problem for an entire generation to come. Right. right? So look at the benefit, the cost benefit. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Now, if someone, the atheist, is always going to come back and say, "Well, why couldn't God have just solved it in the first place?" Right. Right. Well, in that case, I mean, you could say, "Well, why don't we live on Mars? Why don't you could you could question?" uh, But but if God solved it, you wouldn't have that feeling of ownership and exactly feeling of so. We say he did solve it. He just used the creation exactly. Right. right. He used a tool, and it's it's a blessing that you got you get to own the story. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's a blessing that we have memories, and we're going to talk about this in the second part of the podcast. It's a blessing that we have consciousnesses, that yeah. we feel things, and we get attached. We have relationships. Like these yeah. things are blessings. That like if we don't didn't have a consciousness, we'd just be a rock. Yeah. You know. And so, um, so yeah, definitely, absolutely. Okay. Um, Continue. So uh, now somebody might object, and they might say, you know, that uh, okay, suffering. There are different types of suffering and different types of um, uh, purposes, right? Yeah. So, for example, the purpose of you going to school and you suffering to get that degree, that's different than, let's say, your mom dies, uh, and then you don't know why she died. Yeah. You know, like she was just, uh, she died in a car crash, and you have no idea about the wisdom and purpose. Correct. Right? One of them you have idea about wisdom and purpose, mm-hmm. and one of them you have no idea. Correct. Right? So I've waited a long time, you know, given these two differences, but I think we need to talk about what exactly is evil, mm. right? We need to look at that. Good, uh, good thing. question. Yeah. yeah. So most of us think evil is simply suffering, just suffering. Yeah. But remember that first example I gave of the guy going to school for a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, he's willing to endure a lot of suffering to get that degree. Yeah. So to him, that suffering isn't necessarily evil. Correct. It's just uh, inconvenience. It's just part of the process. In but fact, he, would, he 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 asked for it himself, right? By signing he, up for medical school or whatever, right? Exactly. Yeah. And you know, uh, for example, why would anybody go to the gym? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was this fat Victorian guy. He's like, exercise is bad for the body because it makes you sweat and <laughs> it makes it makes your heart palpitate and yeah. So it's he like, probably died at fifty then. <laughs> Right, but yeah. uh, but if if evil is just suffering, yeah, then nobody would be going to the gym. Yeah, you know because people endure tons of suffering in the gym to get that one piece of muscle on you know yeah. whatever, right? So suffering is something different. Uh, evil is something different than just suffering. Correct. Right. Um. So there's definitely different categories of evil, mm-hmm. as, as we can clearly see. Yeah. Uh, we might consider some evils. Uh, actually to be good like you know going to the gym yeah 
But why do we do that? Well, here's, here's the reason. Because we have our hearts fixed on getting something. Mm-hmm. Right? We have our desires fixed on getting something. Yeah. And we don't mind enduring the suffering to get it. Correct. And when we get it, we think it's actually good. Yeah. So... Uh, we actually become secure. Right. In a sense, because we know how treacherous the path was. Uh-huh. And we're quite confident that yeah. very few other people will trek that path. Right. So whatever we attained, we feel like, well, the harder it gets, the more elite the club. Right. The harder, right. and not to look down on people, but to feel secure that it's not going to be taken away from me mm-hmm. tomorrow. Because right. to the path of attaining this or that degree was not easy. Right. Right. So if it was easy, you know, there'd be a brain surgeon on every block, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it would be easy right. to become one. Exactly. So, but brain surgeons knowing how difficult it was, mm-hmm. or climbing a mountain, you know that for sure there's not going to be ten other guys up there mm-hmm. because of how hard it is. Yeah. So it, you're going to have that record for yourself for a long mm-hmm. time. And we voluntarily take these, like voluntarily take these on because we think it's going to increase our flourishing. Yeah. It's going to increase our end goal. It's going to increase us as people. Yeah. Right. So, the but think about this. You could have your heart's desire fixed on something that doesn't increase your flourishing, mm. right? Um, so, for example, um, let's say you have your heart's desire fixed on something. Let's say you want it to be a, uh, a pro wrestler. I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah. And uh, you just you don't have the build, right? Yeah. So reality decides to take that away from you. Let's say you break your hand or uh-huh. whatever. Uh, so what happens then? There's there's a tension in you because you had your heart fixed on something and you couldn't get it and you couldn't get it. Reality decided to take you somewhere else. Yeah. So there's this huge tension, and that's what we call evil. Uh huh. That's what evil is when we have our hearts attached to something, and reality doesn't match up to it. Yeah. That's when we suffer the most. Right? Correct. This is why a person in the gym he has his heart's desire on getting fit. Yeah. So he doesn't suffer, right? But a person, let's say he has his heart's desire attached to his mother, as we all, all do, and his mother's taken away from him, right? Out of nowhere. Yeah. So he's going to suffer because, oh my gosh, you know, this is not, this is not what I was expecting. Right? So attachment to an ephemeral. Ephemeral thing. An unguaranteed or you, however you want to put yeah. it. Yeah. And the, the way we would define it is evil is whatever comes between us and the desires of our heart. Right? Hmm. So that's... And by the desires of our heart, we mean like any expectation of how reality should be for us. Yeah. Right. Now, how do we get that definition of evil? Um, or is that a, just a um, it's something type can, of natural law view of evil? It's it's more from experience. Like if we if we look at um, if we look at why, for example, somebody might say, well, all suffering is evil. Yeah. Obviously not. Right. So what is evil? Like what type of sufferings are evil? Now, what happens now? You can imagine, though, that uh, people are not always wise. Mm-hmm. They attach themselves to something like, I want to become a baseball pitcher. Yeah. And then, all right. So, but it's known for you that that's not good for you. Right. Because the, the life of a pitcher is most likely going to be in the minor leagues and going to end up short and you're not going to have a college education. And then right. you're never going to make it to what you want. So, I'm actually going to sit here and disallow you from that mm. and tell you to go to medical school. Right, right. So is that father has he done evil at that point? Right, exactly. And this this is the this is the main point that you know when we don't get what our hearts desire, like people say, 
his heart's broken. Right? Yeah. So this is what breaks our heart. So the the pitcher example, he he couldn't be a pitcher, so it breaks his heart because he's so attached to it. Yeah. Right. But the thing is that he could be attached to something that's stopping his flourishing. Yeah. Right. So for example, John Milton, he's a he's a famous English poet, right? Um, in his early life, he had a gift of poetry yeah. like, from very beginning. In his early life, his sole goal, his his life's desire, was to become a clerk in the in the government of um, Cromwell. Yeah. You know the the Puritan guy who yeah. overthrew the overthrew England and yeah, you know, he killed was the king. Yeah. yeah. So his sole desire, John Milton, such a smart person, yeah. his desire was to just be part of that government. Wow. And he didn't, you know, he wasted all his life like writing a propaganda for them and you really? know, he lost his eyesight because he was just reading legal documents all night. Oh my right? gosh. And what hap- what ended up happening is Cromwell got overthrown obviously and yeah. you know, his empire sort of fell apart and um the He was the guy burning Catholics at the stake, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And and then the the previous government came back into power. Yeah. And now John Milton's a hunted man. Yeah. And on top of that, he loses his eyesight. So his desire was his harm. His hel- right, exactly. Yeah, ended and, up being his harm. Yeah. yeah, and then he's he's sitting there, he's blind, he, his, he loses his eyesight, yeah. and he writes a poem. He's like, God, I wanted to achieve something, right? Yeah. But you took away my eyesight. So, <laughs> so like, I'm in, like, uh, you know, darkness upon darkness. Yeah. But it's during this time that he writes Paradise Lost. Uh, he writes Paradise Regained. Uh, he writes all of his great poetry, and these are like epics. These yeah, are like Paradise unmatched. Lost is an epic. Yeah, unmatched. It's the most. It's some people debate whether John Milton's the greatest English uh, writer for Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Yeah, and actually, I think John Milton was uh, some. This is more intriguing to me absolutely. than Shakespeare. Absolutely, yeah. and he took all of his theological knowledge and he yeah, created he this put it in epic, there. epic yeah. poem, right? Which was his calling. Which was his flourishing. Yeah. So something that he thought was bad for him ended up being good for him, becoming amazingly good for yeah. him, right? So, so we could it could be that you know. Um, so then, our, would you call that evil? Then, exactly, it's not. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, it turned out that there was a greater wisdom for what he was going through. Yeah. And even him being blind, it's there's a greater wisdom because yeah. it forced him actually to improve his memory. Right, mm. and and what would happen is these bouts of like attacks would yeah. come on him, and he'd start reciting poems wow. as if like revelations coming down to him, wow. and he'd just keep reciting, reciting, and then he'd have his clerk write it down. That's crazy. And if you read Paradise Lost, you're just like Subhanallah. Wow. You know that this guy, he's just freestyling. Wow. You know, so it's. it's I never like, knew that about him. It's it's amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, really amazing. Um. So yeah. So so you could have you know you could have your desires in in the wrong place. Yeah. And what suffering does is God could use suffering to redirect your desire. And that's exactly based. Isn't this uh, similar to what I mean? Basically, is what Buddha said mm-hmm. that suffering is attachment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But but the thing is, it's not unlike the Buddhists, uh, Muslims. I mean, we don't believe that attachment itself is bad, right? No, we we, we would define evil in a different way. Right. Right. Yeah. We would simply define evil as. Uh, disobedience against Allah mm-hmm. that is not followed by Toba. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That's it. Because we don't have the same approach as the Buddhists to attachment. Right, right. We encourage certain attachments. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And we say they're good. And that when it gets broken and you suffer, that's also part of the package that's mm-hmm. good. 
right? Mm-hmm. So uh, we have, but but basically, what you're saying though is attachment to fenyet, attachment to fenyet are ephemeral things that mm-hmm. are going to go away. That is harm. You're inflicting harm on yourself. It's it's more that uh, that's true. Absolutely, it's more that you're attached to something that doesn't increase your flourishing. Yeah. So you're attached to the wrong thing. Yeah. And then so, flourishing from from what of dunya only. Exactly. So here's that's the, a beautiful. Here's the, thing. here's the next question. Yeah. How do we define flourishing? That's good. That's a great right? point. Yeah. And and that's the thing. We think that flourishing is something that oh my heart's desire is attached to this, and if I get it, I'm going to be flourishing. But maybe you don't know what flourishing is for you. That's great. Yeah. Right? You, so so your knowledge is actually limited. Right. And, that's and beautiful. It could be that God knows what the true flourishing is, yeah. and He uses suffering to redirect you towards what's going to actually give you flourishing. That's amazing. And this is right? why the, the the Muslims, the way we view things like uh, what's happening in Syria or uh, the Rohingya people, mm-hmm. if you think about it, if Allah loves a people and they're in a world of disobedience, mm-hmm. then suffering, in fact, is a sign of His protection of them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That if you're in a situation where you're just doing wrong after wrong and you can't handle the temptations and then suddenly you find yourself uh, in, in, a, in a sickness, right? Mm, Where right. you can't continue sinning. Right, right, right. This is beautiful, right? <laughs> the awliya would be like, subhanAllah, make dua for me because Allah chose you. He right. chose to protect you even if you can't protect yourself. Subhanallah. Right? And I actually know my entire uh, dad's side of the family yeah. was a normal Egyptian family. Then the eldest granddaughter or a second eldest granddaughter, yeah. she got leukemia. And in that period of time in which she got leukemia, her mom started to go into the maqra, mm. which is the Quran, uh, yeah. study of Quran there, mm. right? And then she did that to soothe her pain, right? Because how are you going to yeah, handle yeah. that? Yeah. I'm pretty sure before that, she was not doing that. Mm. When things were hunky-dory and everything's normal, she was not doing that. Yeah. She went to the Quran school for a reason. Right, she yeah. persisted in it. She br- she dragged her uh, wow. other sisters, wow. right? Who dragged their other sisters until like four or five of them were in there. Wow! And then ten years passed. Wow! Like the the daughter died a long time ago, right? Wow. But but she kept up with the with the school. The Quran school, yeah. So if you think about it, the 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 pain of one person was yeah. used to protect and redirect everyone else. Right. That's amazing. It's and, a great and, point. It's a great point. Exactly. And yeah. even that, even that suffering of that one person, it's not going to be in vain. It's not in vain. How many people benefited? Right, right. Yeah. And not just for other people, even for that one person that died. Yeah. We're going to discuss later on that you know somebody who dies in that state. Revelation tells us that you know there's reward waiting for them. Yeah. And in a sense, they they took the fall for the rest of the family. Right, right. Like they're the ones who bear bore the suffering, mm-hmm. but for the rest of the family to to, to benefit to benefit. Mm-hmm. Even what they don't even know yet. Yeah. Right. And not only the rest of the family. What about if you're a teacher? Now she's my aunt is actually now a teacher in the makra. Oh. She advanced so much. She's this teacher now. What about the people that she's benefiting? Right. And it all goes back to one person. Right. Patiently bearing. Right. Right. And one one bad incident that redirected to all this good. So I mean, it's it's clear that you know, like, we might not know what true flourishing is. Yeah. I mean, and God tells us that. True yeah. flourishing is actually a connection with God. Yeah, subhanAllah. So, so if, if some suffering yeah. redirects our wills to being closer to God, mm-hmm. which is the ultimate flourishing, yeah. right? And we're going to give a proof of why that is, right? Then 
there's a wisdom behind that evil. Mm-hmm. You know, that evil is not. Um, it's a favor. Ex- it's ex- exactly. Then it's Ibn Atta says that the person who never discovers that point that you just said, oh. that it's connection to Allah, that that person is, ends up being like the mule that goes around the mill. Right? He just goes, because when he gets redirected from suffering, right. he moves from the passion and attachment to one created being to, to passion and attachment to another to created, created being. being. Right? right? And from one another created being to another. And Western civilization is like this. When, as soon as some bad thing happens, yeah. we just turn to some other ism. Right? Allah. And then That's something, so yeah, and that we, turn, we went from like some kind of liberation, right? And now, now then it, me too hit us. And we're going to turn to another thing, and yeah. I can guarantee you that thing is going to be deemed bad and evil, oh, right? So we, there, there, were, there were like Jim Crow laws yeah. that gave us civil rights, but the civil rights movement now, you go to BLM and and look at their literature, yeah, uh, right, and they're spitting on BLM uh, yeah. on the civil rights movement. They hate yeah. those uh, yeah. some of those assumptions that they had and some of the cultures that they had, oh, right? Wow. So it's just from one created thing to the next to the next, just and it's a nonstop, yeah. yeah. So instead of like going horizontal, you should go vertical. Yeah, we yeah we're going horizontal. Yeah. All right. The next thing you have here is the unpopular kid analogy. This should be interesting. Um. Yeah. So we we already discussed this like with the pitcher. Yeah. So the you know unpopular kid is like the MMA guy. MMA guy and the the pitcher as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Where you might be wanting something with your heart's desire, Mm -hmm. but it's not good for you. Yeah. So like a, a teenager in high school, you know, all he wants his entire purpose in life is to just get the approval. Of his peers. That's true. But that's not good for him. It's, it's not part of it's the stupidity. Yeah. yeah, I actually always tell my kids that. <laughs> I was I, I try to yeah. like uh, repeat it over and over in yeah. a way with them that uh, what you guys think is cool now is actually a bunch of nonsense. Exactly. Right. right. And uh, you you just need a little bit of it enough that you don't get laughed at. Mm-hmm. Right. Enough coolness. Yeah. That you don't get laughed at. Uh, so because it becomes a distraction if you do. Yeah. But otherwise, uh, I show them. The sort of the uh, uh, the backgrounds of the people who are doing cool jobs, like in <laughs> right. Silicon Valley and yeah. stuff like that. I mean, these people are hitting the books. Right, right, right. exactly. Okay, and, good. And uh, I want to end, end this particular section by, you know, we're not saying that, uh, we're not saying that, you know, if somebody has to be suffering mm-hmm. um, to like, you know, um, to experience evil. Yeah. Somebody could be living an amazing life, but their life is evil. Like, like, uh, for example, if uh, there's a person who's a serial killer, right? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know he's a serial killer. Let's just take that analogy. He doesn't yeah. know he's a serial killer, but he kills people and nobody knows about it. Yeah. Is his life evil? It is. It is. Yeah. It doesn't matter if he doesn't know about it and doesn't suffer. That's true. His life is still evil. Yeah. So just because we see somebody living an amazing life, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, he somehow, you know, being favored by God and not, no Correct. evils uh, happening to him, right? A rich CEO, I mean, he could be extorting uh, th- millions of dollars from people and ripping people off, Correct. and he's living a good existence, but we would never say that his life is good. Correct. Right? So, um, you know, we have to really think about what we mean by flourishing, like what we, where our heart's desires are attached to. That's beautiful. Um, you know, to, to be able to answer some of these questions. And I'm not saying that, you know, if you have your heart's desire attached to something that it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. I'm not saying that. Like, um, for example, you might be attached to a certain type of relationship, right? I'm not saying that you should throw that out and then just, you know, arbitrarily go to God or something, right? But if we realize what it is that we're attached to, like, for example, let's say we're attached to beauty. Yeah. Like, we're attached to 
um, I don't know, beautiful women, whatever, right? Yeah. Nursi would say, what you're actually attached to is beauty itself. Yeah. And you're going to find more of it if you go to God. Yes. SubhanAllah. Right? Subhanallah. So you don't have to just That's leave, actually beautiful. Yeah. You don't have to leave your attachments. Like, That's beautiful. For example, I love, um, uh, what did I used to like? Oh, I used to love video games, right? Yeah. And then I found out that, you know, one of the things that, and I used to always play role-playing games. Like, you know, being a, being a, um, uh, a knight or something, you know, okay. uh, some of these people play and you, uh, you know, save the kingdom, whatever, right? Yeah. What I loved about that is that I loved stories. Mm. I loved theoretical sort yeah. of, uh, uh, what do you call it, tangents. Right? Yeah. That's really what I loved. Uh, and I mean, you, you can get all of that in yeah. Islam. <laughs> you know, this, yeah. this is why I'm, you know, I'm having this podcast. Yeah. Right? Well, well, one of the things similar yeah. to that is that uh, the Quran does not denounce Attachments. The right. Quran deta- deta- uh, denounces attachments greater than the love of right, Allah. Exactly, right, exactly. And exactly. Allah, uh, Allah, His Messenger, mm-hmm. and striving in their path. Exactly. Right. And also, Sayyidina Ali, he wasn't, I wouldn't say attached, but he did, uh, was seen drinking cold water. And the, mm. from the Sahaba, there were seven that were considered the ascetics of the companions. Mm. And their chief was Sayyidina Ali. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So he, they said, Oh, Ali. The Zohad, the ascetics, they don't drink cold water, but right. you're drinking cold water. Right. He said, yes, because it brings the gratitude out of my heart. SubhanAllah. Right. So sometimes right. what we in, in, uh, interact with and are attached to is, in fact, something that extracts from us Beautiful. a yeah. lot of Allah's love. It's a gift from God. It's a gift. And right? we, we are attached to it even more if we yeah. know that. Uh, That's exact. And it doesn't harm us right. if we if we remember its source. Exactly. Because then when right. it gets taken away, right. no problem. I remember this. I know who the yeah. source is. Exactly. Okay, good. And What's so, next? So we were going to have um, just a quick uh, overview of the Musa Islam and Khidr Islam story. Okay, Just good. as some proof. Um, mm-hmm. But do you think we should skip it? or No, no. Don't skip anything. Yeah. Do do we want to pause and and make this into two parts because we're hitting two hours now? Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Um, it, tell me where is the good stop point because I don't think we're going to finish the whole uh, uh, everything that you have here. Uh, we like we're we're halfway through. Yeah, yeah. So but we we went over uh, most of the stuff in our tangents. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, I think we should be good. We're halfway through. Like okay. uh, I'm scrolling down and some of these points we already discussed. So. Okay, good. So you tell me where is the next stop point within Yeah. Uh maybe five, ten minutes. Okay. And then redo your yeah. notes, uh and then we'll do part two after cool, another cool. time. Great. So um uh, the next point I want to discuss, I'm gonna skip the Musa Asam al Khidr story. Okay. I think most of us know um how this relates to this um, Yeah. To this, uh, that's that's yeah. the whole that's the purpose point. of it. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah. So go go through Surah Kaf again, and you'll see mm-hmm. you know, all of these things coming out. Yeah. Um. So I want to give an argument for why God is wise, mm-hmm. right? We believe God is wise because, um, you know, Scripture tells us. Yeah. Uh, uh, but reason, you can also reasonably come to that conclusion. You can come to that conclusion using logic, mm. right? And Ustad Nursi, as always. He gives a beautiful argument. He says, mm. uh, "He says whoever has created the seed must have created the solar system." It's a logical link. Now that's a huge claim. Right? That's huge. Let's hear it. So he says that whoever has created one atom must have created the entire universe. One atom, and the proof he says, right, is because things are so linked together. And you can't separate them. Yeah. They're so interconnected that you can't separate them. Yeah. Like, look at one atom, right? One atom. 
this atom can somehow know how to function properly as an atom in your eye, but if I take this atom and put it in your leg, it knows how to function properly in your leg. If I take this atom and put it in a tree, it knows how to function properly in a tree. It's as if the atom knows the entire universe. SubhanAllah. Right? And even in, we were discussing this uh, in the previous podcast, how like uh, this phenomenon of quantum entanglement, how like if you entangle two atoms together, yeah, and then you like make them go several light, uh, you know, millions of years apart. Yeah, if you change one of them, it immediately affects the other one. Wow, this is proven fact in quantum physics. Really, it's a proven fact. That is insane. And and that means that the universe, everything in the universe, is so closely tied and linked. Yeah, right. That you could not have one person designing one part of it and another person ah, designing another. It's all of it is all of it is one creation. That's amazing, right? And this shows us that there must be wisdom. If, if that's that's yeah. the simple proof in the theology books, you'll see yeah. that the proof of oneness is order. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. So and the proof of knowledge is complexity. Yeah, because it is complex. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Very very complex. And the proof of volition mm-hmm. is variation. Yeah, right. We're not composed of like three different pixels that are moving yeah, around. Right, We're composed right. of all things this. that are for no for no apparent reason to mm-hmm. us are different right. like there, what is really the need for every snowflake to be different right is there really a need for that right but it is they it are is. shows us artistry it shows yeah us. it shows us like that we're not the witnesses of this universe that matter mm-hmm. yeah that they're there that this universe is being witnessed mm-hmm. and for the sake of uh that that's who Allah Ta'ala is yeah. Every single one is different And every one, yeah. single one is beautiful And every single one may only live or yeah. exist Exactly uh, For 0.3 seconds yeah. Before it hits the ground Right right. And yet that's there's no big and small for Allah Exactly And, yeah. and the thing is that If the universe is such an amazing symphony So yeah. to speak and, and God is the composer like, I mean, It's yeah. a bad analogy But if, if the universe is such a Everything in it is linked to everything else. How can we say that suffering itself is completely pointless? Oh, that's a great point. Well, it also is linked it's to something. It's linked to something else. It's yeah. linked to some wisdom, right? Subhanallah. So this is this is a logical proof of why like God has wisdom because he orders everything. A, a, a definition of wisdom is that you know where to put uh, the, yes. where the right things. Correct. That's right? the the to to fi mahalli. Fi right. And yeah, so this is this is the the amazing proof for why yeah. God must have wisdom, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so uh, we talked about we talked about why God has wisdom. We talked about um, how uh, suffering is really the desires of our hearts being attached to something that uh, doesn't help us flourish. Correct. And uh, we also talked about what flourishing means. Flourishing is attachment to God, right? Which and, ends up what you just said being yeah. the same exact definition of yeah. uh, disobedience to Allah, not right. followed by tawbah. Right. Because exactly. if it if it's if it's uh, not followed by tawbah, yeah. then it's against our flourishing. Yeah. And yeah. if it is followed by tawbah, it's then for that, our flourishing. It's for our yeah. flourishing. Yeah. And that flourishing isn't just some type of abstract good, right? Yeah. That we worship God or something. It's actually jannah. Subhanallah. So so when uh, Allah's redirecting somebody yeah. towards Himself, like He's He's wants to give him. Right? I don't want to use the word wants, but yeah. he desires to, you know, he wants to give him Jannah. Yeah. So he's gonna have unlimited flourishing. Yeah. Right? So this is this is one of the um, uh, one of the proofs that we have. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to take 
um, that person away from the bad consequences. Beautiful. Because wow. if that person, let's say Allah keeps giving him certain tests and trials, yeah. you know, come back here, come back here, come back. He says, no, 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 no. Yeah. Now, there's no way that God can force that person into Jannah without violating his free will. Correct. Ah, subhanAllah. Right? True. Why would you take a person who doesn't want to be with God yeah. and force him to be with God? True. And you could do that with an angel, I guess, yeah. but he doesn't have free will. But this is what we mean by hell. I mean, the yeah. people in hell, they, I mean, they don't belong in Jannah. <laughs> That's what they wanted. They, they wanted that, yeah. right? So they didn't get the point. They didn't get the lesson. Yeah. They just kept... Um, but still in that is divine justice in the sense yeah. that you asked, this is what you wanted. You, you were get just, what you wanted. You were ignorant, mm-hmm. right? In a sense, willfully ignorant, yeah. right? And didn't believe what the evidence that people gave you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I mean, what, what, what would we say about a, a person who everyone told him, don't eat that berry, Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. In the woods. Yeah. And he said, well, well you guys just read it, writing books, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm a human and you're a human. Yeah. So let me just eat it anyway. And then he, yeah. dies. he dies. Well, the people are going to say, well, I mean, we have to say he deserved it, right? <laughs> he deserved it, right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, but uh, one of the big questions would be, uh, like, does the ends justify the means? Because we're saying that suffering, there's wisdom behind it, and you know people suffer, and it turns out good. And of the course, end. the atheist is gonna say, and and yeah, yeah, because in human society, it never justifies the means. Correct, right? Well, you can't you can't um, kill a bunch of people and say, oh, it's gonna bring about this many goods, right? Correct, and be, get away with it. Yeah. Well, see, here's the thing. Um, God has a certain right over His creation. Mm-hmm. And when you have, when you own your creation, you could do certain things to it that the creation can't do amongst themselves. Correct. If, if let's say, uh, for example, um, a parent with a child, mm-hmm. the parent has full right to do certain things to the child to increase his flourishing. Mm-hmm. Right. Even if he doesn't like Even it. Even if he doesn't like it. Right. Correct. Because the parent is in a position of authority to do that. It's morally yep. uh, good for him. Mm-hmm. Right. God. So we can't do that among ourselves, but God has full uh, right to Correct. use suffering to teach us. Correct. But we can't do that amongst ourselves Correct. because we have no right to do that. That's beautiful. Right? Because we don't own any of... And that's creation. actually one of the names of Ar-Rahman. Right, right. The, the, I mean, the uh, one of the divine names. Ar-Rahman is the name which is signifies uh, that Allah Ta'ala can, mm-hmm. will do good for His servants, including yeah. what they don't like. Right, right. As a way to benefit them. I mean, imagine, for example, this, uh, this is an example that just occurred to me out of nowhere. Mm. Imagine a master artist, and he's given a huge block of marble yeah. in front of him. Yeah. And then he starts chipping away at the marble. Yeah. Right? And then he creates this David sculpture or whatever, this beautiful sculpture. Yeah. Would anybody say that this artist is morally wrong for chipping away at the marble? SubhanAllah. So, yeah. and, so we, in relation to God, is like the artist in relation to the marble. Yeah. So... Forget about okay. Let's say the marble feels pain, yeah. right? Let's say the piece of marble feels pain. Would the marble want to go back to the yeah. hunk it is? Yeah, it would that, want to that be nobody's that, looking at yeah. or no one's no one's admiring. It would actually yeah. say, you know, it's worth it. You know, yeah. if I'm this beautiful statue that people are going to look at. No, now the atheists will constantly yeah. go back and say, well, why couldn't God just create the everything perfect as it is? Really, at the end of the day, they're asking for paradise, right? And at the end of the day, we all have. Even despite all, with all this uh-huh. sense that you're that you're talking about, we end up having to get back to the statement that Allah is not asked about what, what he, he does. does, 
and Allah knows and you don't know. Namely, in other words, we have we are told by revelation, it's almost like a revealed knowledge that yeah. we ne not necessarily would have yeah. come to on our own. Or maybe we would have come to on our own. There's that, an argument for it. Yeah, that yeah. the intellect of the human being is essentially limited, will never fully understand mm -hmm. the cause of everything, right? Right, And must recognize that fact. And right. if it does not recognize that fact, then all of its attempts are folly. Mm -hmm. And that's why Allah says, I know and you don't know. Right. And don't ask why I do certain things. The mu'min doesn't even ask. Right. Like once you arrived at what you're saying of the of Iman, you don't even ask these questions, right? Mm -hmm. Because you trusted the source. Yeah. We're all getting to why we should trust the source. Right, exactly. And why we should trust it. Once we trust the source, it comes then back full circle. It comes full circle. Yeah. Then Allah says, you don't you don't even right. ask anymore. And so uh, but but the thing is that even if God if God created everything as heaven, right? Yeah. And he didn't create free will, no human beings. Yeah. There's some good that could not, never have been. Correct. Yeah. And God is uh, concerned about creating he's the most good so he, yeah. he creates all good how would there be triumph right how would there be competition how right. would there be hard work that resulted in a reward right, right. right. how would there be pity mm. if there was if we were all in paradise there mm. would be no pity there would be no generosity there would be no patience there would be no resilience absolutely right? so you said that there is a rational reason or basis for the idea that our intellects are essentially limited mm -hmm. absolutely you want to share that uh, because um I mean, th think about it. Uh, our knowledge is gained through induction, right? We, mm -hmm. we see certain things happening. We see certain other things happening. Yeah. And we already gave an example that your heart's desire could be attached to something that's not good for your flourishing. We see it all the time. Mm -hmm. So if God tells us that the greatest flourishing is to be in Jannah, is to mm. um, have a relationship with Him, then your intellect, you know, you should be like, you know what? Maybe I don't know if that's true or not, but there's something to it. And especially if you believe in the Quran, you're like, you know, there's something to it. I think that uh, the study of human history yeah, yeah. takes us to the point of uh, that we're actually pretty dense at some points. Mm -hmm. Every era in history, like you go back just a, a while back and we didn't even know a thing or two about medicine. Yeah. Right. So we were limited in that respect. And the fact that we are absolutely reliant on the preservation of our word. Yeah. And before paper. If you notice, societies would collapse or die off yeah, or be destroyed would. by other societies. Yeah. This is the generation after them is basically starting from scratch. Yeah. In, in terms of civilizational knowledge was lost. Mm. Whereas we're operating on the fact that we're building on civilizational knowledge. Yeah. And every step we take, we look down and say, wow. We were like, progressing. We were ignorant, right? right. So the I, just the whole notion of progress, yeah. which... In the, to the secular mind, that's their theme, right? Mm -hmm. Necessitates existence of our challenges. In, existence of our limitation, right? Necessitates the, that the human nature is limited. The mm -hmm. intellect is limited. Yeah, we right. may have potential to understand, but in itself, it's limited. In itself, it's limited. Right? Yeah. Um, so one last thing I want to um, finish this point on, and we actually have we went through a lot of these points mm -hmm. just in our in our tangents. So we're almost close to the finish, actually. Oh, okay. Um, so I want to just give a story that sort of summarizes all of these things. In okay. One. Uh, the story of uh, Cain and Abel. Yeah. Habil and Qabil. Mm -hmm. I mean, this story perfectly mirrors what, what we're talking about when we say that God uses suffering to lead us to flourishing. Yeah. Now, look at uh, Abel, who's the mm -hmm. innocent brother. He gets killed by Cain. Uh, Abel is righteous. 
uh-huh. worships God. He has a good relationship with God. But he's the one that dies. That's true. And people might say, you know, this is just uh, really horrific evil. Yeah. Right? But if you think about it, is it really, like, is that the worst thing that could have happened to Abel? He, he gets Jannah because he's close to God. Yeah. He's achieved his perfection. He's achieved closeness with God. So if he lives for even 70 more years or 90 more years, what difference does it make? Yeah, right? what is he going to get over... Right, over this relationship with God. Which is infinite. Right. That's so true. is it is it the worst thing that could have happened to him that yeah. he died? So it, it, that goes back to your point of once you define yeah, flourishing, exactly right, yeah. then that then the whole ball game is basically yeah. over because right. you could have a thousand years of being tortured mm-hmm. over uh, in exchange for infinity. It's nothing. It's nothing, right? Exactly. And you could have a thousand years of pleasure in exchange of infinite yeah. hell. It's nothing. And it's nothing because look, I'm just a very small example. If I put you in a room, yeah, for and and. There's like all the pleasures you can want. Yeah. Everything you ever wanted. But I say 10 minutes from now, you're going to be killed. Yeah. Are any of those things going to matter? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So if every single thing that we, like if every single thing is just going away, yeah. just, just going into non-existence, yeah. then it means that none of our pleasures are worth anything. Uh, yeah. Right? So so, e- so even um, if you were told you're going to paradise yeah, and you're going to have a decent life, that decent life really becomes no benefit. Exactly. In fact, Dodge and right. Ryanville gets a paradise right away. Right, right. That's actually becomes a torment. If you actually saw your paradise right. or felt it once, uh-huh. then we said, okay, go back to life and have a decent life. It wouldn't taste good, right? right. It would be pale in comparison and you'd it be miserable. The, yeah, exactly. Right? Which is one of the great wisdoms of why paradise is hidden. Mm, if right. it wasn't hidden from us, then if God would. wasn't hidden, you said that they yeah. argue about God being God hidden. hidden. If, if paradise wasn't hidden, if God wasn't hidden, we would never be able to enjoy life mm, right. because of the relativity would be so so off. Yeah. And in uh, Narnia, they showed that. <laughs> That's what he tried to show. Right. right? right. So they go to Narnia. They uh-huh. live like kings. He yeah. comes back and he's a regular schoolboy. Right. He's absolutely miserable. Right. Exactly. Right? Same idea. And, and and the other thing is, even for Cain, like if Cain was the one killed, he's yeah. the evil one, right? Yeah. But if Cain was the one killed, would it be good for Cain? It wouldn't. He goes straight to hell. To hell. Yeah. So he lives a longer time. So he can repent. So he can repent. Right. So so, so that like, is actually uh, uh, the best possible scenario. At right. That moment. At that best possible scenario. So I'm not saying like all of our suffering fits into that picture. Yeah. But I'm just trying to give an example of yeah. like what we normally think about as evil and 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 bad yeah. might necessarily not you know be that yeah. you know, and and uh, like there's a like there's a very good argument that. Um, resurrection that the afterlife is something that you know we should be attached to you know mm-hmm. um, because you know as I'm going to go on uh, now that death is not the end okay mm-hmm. death is not the end and there's a logical argument for it there's there's a lot logical argument if you tell to somebody mm-hmm. if you give him all these examples he could not believe that everything just fades away yeah right and Nursi says that if somebody the greatest evil that can actually exist is being detached from God yeah. And he says he takes the story of uh, Ayub mm. as an example. He says that, look, Ayub is suffering, suffering, suffering. He doesn't make any dua to God. He just patiently bears it. Yeah. But then he makes a dua. So Nursi says in his tafsir that Ayub made the dua only when the sickness was so bad that he couldn't praise God. SubhanAllah. So, and Nursi takes a lesson from this. He says that, look, whatever you endure, the greatest loss you could have is if you lose that connection to the infinite subhanallah right yeah because 
life itself doesn't mean anything if you don't have the afterlife. Like the example of the person locked in the room. If if you're going to die in the next 10 minutes, what what matters? Yeah. Nothing matters. That's right? why one of the awliya, his dua was, Oh Allah, test me with anything except uh, hijab, which is the barrier between me and you. SubhanAllah. I'll t- take any test except, because that yeah. test, at that point you don't even know that you're being tested. Because mm-hmm. you have no sense of what is what anymore. Right. Because we only get a sense of stuff only when we have our perspective on akhirah. Yeah. Yeah. And and the akhirah, I mean, there's so many signs in the creation that yeah. the akhirah is real. In the design of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, uh, there's a cycle of life and death, resurrections. Uh, a plant um, is born, it dies, it comes back to life. And uh, there's so many, there's so many. Um, we see resurrection. We see resurrection all the time. And if we say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just going to take all this creation that he's done and he's just going to like, destroy it. Yeah. And he's never going to do anything else. This is like a master artist. He creates a beautiful piece of art. Yeah. And just right after, he just destroys it. Yeah. I mean, we would we would call this person insane. Yeah. Or you would say, he's got to have a better one. Ex- ex- exactly. Right. Up right. his sleeve, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, I didn't yeah. think of that. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. got to have a better one up his sleeve, yeah. right? So, so these are some, you know, indications that resurrection and mm-hmm. the afterlife is something that's perfectly reasonable. It's yeah. not, we're not making this up. It's not... Um, uh, weird things that religious people are coming up with. This is uh, perfectly reasonable. I mean, you know how the iPod, uh, the iPod was a, a massive uh, mm-hmm. uh, thing, and one time Steve Jobs came in and uh, someone asked him what's going on. He's like, "We're going to kill the iPod." Right. So when you have a, a genius like him, yeah, or even forget genius if you didn't think he was that smart, but uh, someone as ambitious as Steve Jobs telling you that you know for sure that he's got something better up his sleeve. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Which was the iPhone, which had an iPod in it, right? <laughs> so because it had an iPod in it, right. You know, like it, it, it basically you have no need for an iPod it, it, if you have an iPhone. Yeah. So he, so when you got a guy like him, uh, telling you that he's destroying his creation, yeah, right. You know that he's going to got something bring something better, much better, right? Yeah. And Allah Taala, uh, uh, it, like in in creation, like what you said. Things are destroyed when they come back, mm-hmm. right? So, so we've so that's remember that's the first significant proof that there's wisdom behind evil. Right? And we broke down what evil means. We talked about what wisdom means, all that. So now let's use all what 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 we've learned and let's tackle the probably the toughest question, which is how can children suffer? Mm. They have no no connection to anything in the world. They're completely innocent, but they're made to undergo so much suffering. Right, and to this, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna. We've done a lot of groundwork. We said that every evil that God has, there's wisdom behind it. We said that God is concerned with people's flourishing. He guides them to their flourishing, uh, so on and so forth. So now we have an answer. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read, probably as a beautiful letter written by Nursi to somebody who actually lost a son. Mm. Um, and so what he does is he. Um, he starts off with the famous ayah of the Quran. That give good tidings unto the patients, mm. uh, patient ones, who, when they are visited by an affliction, say, We belong to God, and it is to Him that we are returning. Right? So, after some words of condolences, Nursi says, very interestingly, he interprets a verse in Surah Insan. Which says, uh, hmm. right? Everlasting youth, youths will attend to the people in Jannah. Hmm. 
If you could see them, you would think they were scattered pearls. So Nursi interprets this, and he says that what the Quran means by immortal children is this. If a believer's children dies, believer's child dies before puberty, they will live eternally in paradise as lovable children. They will be the eternal means of happiness and pleasure to their parents, who will enjoy their love for them in their embrace. Some argue that the people of paradise will enjoy all pleasures except love for children, because paradise is not the place of generation or yeah. people giving birth. However, the Quranic expression, um, immortal children, indicates that they will be eternally rewarded with the pure affection of their deceased children, mm. whereas in this world, that love or affection is restricted to 10 years at most. SubhanAllah. And then is wounded frequently by grief and filial piety. SubhanAllah. So this is how Nursi interprets it. And he says that you know these children that are dying mm. were being taken from us, that uh, God is going to reward us for eternity with mm. the love of these children. SubhanAllah. Right? But that solves the. Uh, let's say that brings comfort to a person who's lost a child, right? But what about the child themselves? The child has died. It's yeah. lost its life. It's suffered, right? So, uh, Nursi talks. You know, he has this, you know, amazing analogy again, and this analogy of a a prison, mm. right? He says once a man was thrown into prison mm. along with his child. So his child and the man is in the prison mm. for whom he was responsible. He was responsible for the child. Not only did he have to endure his own affliction, but he had to care for his child as well in the prison. Mm. While he was suffering, the country's compassionate ruler sent a messenger with an offer to care for the child in the palace Mm -hmm. because the child was a subject. Mm -hmm. The man's response was the aggrieved cry, you know, this child is my only means of consolation. I can't give her up. His fellow prisoners, however, advised him, your grief makes no sense. If you pity your child... Let her be taken out of the suffocating, dirty prison to a beautiful, spacious palace. If you prefer to have her stay here for your own advantage, consider how much effort it costs you to look after her. Uh It is in your interest to give her to the ruler, whose compassion and sympathy she will certainly arouse, so that he will wish to meet you. Hmm. The ruler will not send her to prison, but instead will summon you on the condition that you obey and trust it. Hmm. It is this, so Nursi says here, It is as in the parable above, my brother. That all believers whose child or children have died should think thus. Mm. Children are innocent. Their all-compassionate and all-munificent creator has taken them into his care out of his perfect compassion. Whereas I would be unable to give them adequate training in mind or morals. Also, their creator is much more affectionate towards them than I could be. Mm. How happy the children are, since God has taken them from this world's wearying life to the highest heaven. If they had lived longer, they might have been led astray. Mm. So I should not grieve. So, you know, in this beautiful letter, what Nursi is saying is that the child that's being taken away is, is like you two are stuck in a prison, which is the dunya. Yeah. And the, the king is taking a person that's stuck with you in the dunya and he's taking it back to him to give him Jannah, right? And Nursi is saying that this is the example of a child that we lose, that this child is actually gaining something in the afterlife. With this Jannah. And this right. analogy would necessitate as well that we attribute the pain that ch- children suffer yeah. to ourselves. Because mm. in, this, in this analogy, you said the man committed a crime, he yeah. had his child, and they both got sentenced. Oh, no, no, th- this was just an analogy for like, just, okay. uh, just you know, so these now, two people are stuck in prison. Well, what about, so that, so that explains the death of children. Mm-hmm. What about their suffering? 
they're suffering the the suffering could be used as a lesson for others like you said the the um, uh, what, what was your grandmother's family what was it yeah the, yeah, yeah so like that, that it, it extracts from others exactly yeah it extracts it creates a greater good yeah but the child it's uh, um, themselves they're not lost like they're not like just you know yeah. thrown away they get rewarded with jannah it's part of a package yeah yeah they like, get rewarded with jannah and yeah. um like people might say well okay then why doesn't god take all the babies to jannah mm-hmm. D- don't make them live through this difficult well life. then why live at all <laughs> well here's the thing there are some blessings to this life right i mean people attain sainthood well well, well if he did that there would be no human beings right <laughs> right right you know if 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 we expanded the number of babies who died right right eventually it would eat away at the population you would have no right. human beings and yeah. if allah simply put everyone who deserves to be in heaven and everyone who deserves to be in hell then the people in heaven wouldn't appreciate their paradise because right. they never seen earth in the first place right. they just got it mm-hmm. and the people in hell would say hey i never got a fair chance right right so life itself okay yeah. it might be weary it might be difficult but there are certain blessings uh, in life too. Yeah. Right? You can attain the highest status in Jannah with life. But life is also pretty dangerous because yeah. you could go to hell. Yeah. Right? So certain babies, out of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pure choice, as we said, voluntarism, he can do yeah. whatever he wants. He takes certain babies and he doesn't let them go through the trial of life. Yeah. Right? And he's rewarded them. He doesn't, the babies don't lose out. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm not trying to, buy, like people might be listening, it's like this is cold and calculated. Like, not at all. We're not, we're not trying to say that. We're not yeah. trying to justify suffering, right? Yeah. Because um, th- only the doctor yeah. can uh, use the knife on you. Yeah. I'm uh, Like human beings, God is the doctor. And you, and you can explain, though, why the doctor uses the knife. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but like a regular human being, they can't use a knife on somebody else. Yeah. Like the uh, the doctor can administer poison to cure somebody of cancer, yeah. chemotherapy. Yeah, but I can't do that. I mean, it doesn't mean oh, please drink chemotherapy; it's good for yeah. you. No, we understand the logic yeah, behind it exactly, and so, why we should trust those doctors who yeah. do so. So yeah. God has full right to use suffering to teach us. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that we should have more of suffering, or that right? we yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't mean. No. That. Yeah, we're not asking for more. Like uh, the wisdom of poverty. Yeah, a lot of wisdom behind poverty doesn't yeah. mean we don't fight against it. Yeah. I mean, Peter Atkins has something to say about yeah. that. You want to pull, pull that up? That up? Yeah. All right, let's see what this guy has to say. <laughs> Other copper. Yeah, these guys, some of these people, man. Oh, man. All right, let's see what you got here. Now let's pull that up. All right, here we go. Tell, tell us who this who is this guy? This guy what? he he probably wrote your high school chemistry textbook. No, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's a chemistry teacher. He's a chemistry teacher, I think, at Oxford. Okay. And uh, but he's also like a very vocal atheist. Huh. And like like he's people call him atrocious, Peter Atkins, just because like he's so close-minded. Really. The only thing he believes in is that the entire world is just made out of atoms, and there's no point in living. And yeah. I'm just like, then why are you a professor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? All right, here so, he is. Yeah. Let's 
significance for what happens in the world. Well, I think this is despicable nonsense, if I may say so. I think I would like to see you nailed to a cross in order that you should experience the, the extremes of pain. <laughs> I would like to see you raped. I would like to see oh. you hung, 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 drawn and quartered. That would make me feel very comfortable because it would give you such pleasure. Let me, let me bring in the Arthur Peacock. <laughs> so explain to us what who was he talking to and what was he saying there? so richard swinburne was saying um the guy who was speaking in the first uh the beginning he yeah. was basically trying to use the same argument we were doing but yeah. a very very summarized uh, argument he yeah. was saying that god could allow evil yeah. to have some um greater good yeah. right and peter atkins is like this is complete uh, you know yeah. it's horrible uh okay then you should be you should be raped and you yeah should be. so this is like saying for example uh, there's evil in the world, and God brings good out of it. So let's have more evil. Yeah. Right? But remember, we said that God has the right to use evil. He knows how. He knows how it works. Yeah. Evil's evil's like a, the knife of a surgeon. Yeah. Only the surgeon has the full right to use it because he he knows how what what it's going to yeah. do. So you or I don't have the capacity or the mm -hmm. or the right. To inflict evil on anybody else. It's just like yeah. saying uh, if someone came out of chemotherapy, yeah, and then uh, you tell them, you know, well, this is this is the only way to go. <laughs> then they say, well, I'd like to see you, uh, yeah, exactly. sit down there and, and take this stuff and lose yeah, your hair and all exactly. and be all miserable. Well, it's like that that response doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. We're actually right. trying to console you, exactly, right? Because exactly. whether or not, it, it, because the 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 it, not having a purpose to evil, mm -hmm. yeah, doesn't improve your state. Yeah, it doesn't. Right, it doesn't. So, so we just have uh, two more points here, and um, mm. inshallah we can finish. Uh, we we covered a lot of ground, honestly. Yeah. Um, so, I guess to summarize this argument that God uh, has wisdom behind evil, mm -hmm. the way that we can summarize it is, God's creation mm. maximizes for virtue. Yeah. It doesn't maximize for pleasure. Oh, that's a right? beautiful statement. And that is a beautiful statement. So we have this is the punchline. Yeah. Right. God is not obligated to make this world a hedonistic paradise. Yes. He's already done that. I mean, Jannah is like that, right? Yeah. So it's not there to maximize bodily pleasures and make the streets flow with honey and wine, right? Yeah. This is quite clearly not the type of world that exists. Yeah. But, you know, a hedonistic pleasure is not the best possible world. It's not. You know, let's say a world in which everybody just enjoys pleasure and there's no virtue. Would we say this is the best possible world? No. Mm -mm. But in this world, what do we value the most? What do human beings value the most? Courageousness, mm. right? Honesty, beauty, mm. love, love, virtues are virtues, greater. Mastery. That's, that's why we have heroes who yeah. uh, are fallen heroes. They mm -hmm. sort of, I guess you could say, failed, yeah. right? And yet they they're heroes. Exactly, right? and we admire or, uh, we we admire the, the tragic heroes. They, yeah, yeah, tragic heroes. Yeah, we admire the virtues that they possess. Yeah, even like, like for example, I mean. The Christians say that Isaiah some died on the cross, right? Yeah. Um, from the outside, it looks like as if he's failed. You know, he led this movement and he got crucified, according to them, yeah. and he's just done, right? Yeah. But everybody, I mean, 2,000 years later, 2,018 years later, mm -hmm. people still take Isaiah as an example. Yeah. You know, they, they're just awed at the courage that he had, the, his ability, right? So it doesn't matter that he's supposedly outwardly lost. Yeah. What matters is his virtue. So, you know, our creation, the world is there to maximize virtue. It's not there to maximize That's pleasure. That's beautiful. Right? That is critical. 
And so just to conclude all of this up, um, this first point, that the things that we find beautiful and the things which our hearts are attached to, mm-hmm. are they originate from God. And what we find beautiful in them is God himself, mm. is God acting in them. SubhanAllah. And this way we can see where evil can be resolved. If mm. we direct our hearts to the, to the right thing mm. and we position it towards God, then it's possible to bear any type of evil. And you have yeah. the stories of the awliya, you have the stories Then really of, there is no evil. Yeah. The only evil is weakening in our dhikr. Mm, in our remembrance not of the tongue or yeah. of the heart whatever the, or even of the mind of thinking about mm-hmm. the value of things and the justification and the justification and reason to trust in Allah mm-hmm. that's got to be the only evil right distraction and that's <laughs> what, <laughs> exactly what Nursi says yeah, exactly what Nursi says and uh, it's, it's so amazing so like again just to summarize the uh, the first this optimism theodicy says that evil is there to lead corrupted wills towards the thing that's going to make them flourish. That's right? And people can misinterpret that, right? Yeah. God doesn't force his creation to change because yeah. that would compromise their free will. That's true. He right? gives them signals. Gives them signals, exactly. Yeah. So somebody, God could send a tragedy their way. They misinterpret it. They're like, yeah. oh, God's out to get me. Yeah. So they become even more evil. Right? But the opposite is also true. Yeah. The, some people become more righteous after tragedy. Mm-hmm. right? So... This is what, you know, this first significant proof tells us. Yeah. And um, I want to conclude by reading probably one of the most beautiful things Nushri's ever written, mm. uh, this, this small passage here. Mm. And he wrote this when he was exiled in this random part of Turkey. Uh. He's an old man. Uh, he has no help. He's just this hut. He has to hunt for his food. Like, it's a very difficult. Really? Very difficult living. He's not allowed outside contact. And it's just... Um, SubhanAllah. And his family is dead. Uh, his really? Friends are, his friends alone? Literally alone? Literally alone. Unbelievable. Uh, right? No, no, not even followers. Just no, because the followers, they tried to illegal. get in contact with him. Yeah, exactly. Illegal. Unbelievable. So, so this is what he says. And he writes this letter that later goes to one of his friends. Right? Okay. So he says, I've been very lonely for the last three months. At most, a visitor drops by once every 15 or 20 days. Otherwise, I'm alone. In addition... It has been 20 days since the mountaineers left the area, the people in, uh, in, in his area. Huh. At this time of night, in these forsaken mountains, silent and amidst the trees' sorrowful sounds, I find myself immersed in five sorts of loneliness. Being old, I'm separated from most of my contemporaries, friends, and relatives who have gone to the hereafter and left me in a most wretched isolation. Huh. This loneliness makes me feel a second type of separation, coming from the disappearance of most creatures with which I feel a connection such as the past spring. The loneliness arouses yet another feeling, that of separation caused by being far from my hometown and relatives. In addition to these, the mountain's dark nightscape makes me feel a fourth kind of separation. Lastly, I have been seen, I've seen my soul in complete separation during its journey to eternity from this guest house, the world. I yelled all of a sudden, glory be to God, wondering how I could endure such separations. In the meantime, I felt my heart groan out this poem. O Lord, I am a stranger, I am lonely and weak, impotent, old and ill, and I have no choices at all. O God, I beg your mercy, ask your forgiveness, and I cry for help from your throne of grace. Wow. At just that point, belief's light, the Qur'an's effusive grace, and the all-merciful favor comes to my aid and changed five kinds of separation into five circles of warm companionship. SubhanAllah. 
As I recited, God is sufficient for us, an excellent guardian is He. My heart recited, if they turn their backs, say, God is enough for me. There's no God but He, in Him I have put my trust. He is the Lord of the mighty throne. Upon this, my soul conceded that people can open the door to light by understanding their helplessness and poverty before God's power and riches, and by trusting and seeking refuge in Him. I therefore praised and thanked God for the light of belief and submission. I came to understand how sublime a truth is contained in the couplet in Ibn Ataullah al-Iskandari's wise saying, What has he found who has lost God? And what has he lost who has found God? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That is so amazing. That that letter is so amazing. SubhanAllah. That is amazing. That's all I got. Wow. And that's what you closed with, subhanAllah. And, 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 and he just died a lonely death like that. Well, not lonely for us, for him. No, he he no didn't moment. die in that exile, but he got back. He got back to Turkey. Yeah. But even as like, you know, he's he's like 80 years old. And the government's bringing him to court for like all these charges and crimes. Oh my goodness. And, you know, and so no family. No, he never got married. He never married. He couldn't. You know, his half his oh, life was in yeah. like war and prison. Jails and... And so he, and at the end of all this, he's still going to a court. And at that point, what are they going to do to him? He's already mm-hmm. been through everything. So yeah. what did they, what did it, what was the result? The result was they couldn't get anything on him. I mean, he died a natural death, alhamdulillah. And like his his um, when Kamal Ataturk's uh, anti-religious program went into full swing, yeah, his tafsir of the Quran was being shared secretly, like all over Turkey. And when Ataturk got you know rid, his power went away. There was this, like, he couldn't destroy faith. So Islam survived because of the Risala Nur in Turkey. And, and let's and let's see uh, in 30 years yeah. when the last of the Kemalists have died, who are already yeah. a small in number anyway. Yeah. They're dwindling. Hmm. But when the last of the Kemalists have died, how many praises are sung of Ataturk yeah. and how many are sung of, of Nursi, Nursi? Right. Which is go up by what you said, virtue. Virtue. Resilience and trust in Allah And some of those moments In which he was alone with Allah Ta'ala That's yeah. when Allah comes to love a person Absolutely. And when Allah loves a person uh, That's it He's going to ma- He will raise their name mm-hmm. He'll raise their name yeah. Even if it's across seas, across centuries mm-hmm. SubhanAllah I mean I read this stuff I'm like I'm nowhere near the ballpark of these people But I'm like I know that's possible Just because I see this written in books By actual people yeah. that lived I'm like you know that that's possible. Yeah. You know, and and here's the thing: when when you have a uh, people like him, yeah, they this is not what they wanted, right? Right. But what Allah has planned for them is something different, mm. right? So people get people plan for one thing, they end up being really legends for total yeah. different reasons. Absolutely, and he was hated during his lifetime. He was an enemy of the state, and he died as an enemy of the state. And and, uh, and I was also unpopular in the eyes of people. Yeah. And was he was known, right? Though even he was known. He was the, known. The thing is that people loved him, but they couldn't express it because of the Kalmalis thing, right? He had a small band of followers. He or his, many. He had many like covert followers. Wow. Like people like people loved his writings because yeah. for the first time, he was making uh, like he was speaking to them, right? Yeah. You know, he he took on the materialism of his time, and he you know he showed why belief in God, belief in the six pillars of yeah. Iman is so. He actually, argued this. That's it's amazing. amazing stuff. That is amazing. You can change lives. <laughs> 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 Allah. There's a biography of him. 
yeah. that I actually have it on my shelf. And mm-hmm. for some reason, I, I, I didn't really know much about Nursi, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. And um, I never read it, yeah. to be honest. So, but I'm actually going to pick it up soon. He's definitely this. an awliya. He's one of oh the awliya. His miracles. He has miracles. Unbelievable. I mean, oh. just his, 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 that fight uh-huh. is greater than any miracle. Yeah. To, like yeah. to last, to, to be resilient, to make it through this trial. Mm-hmm. Well, what's better, that or someone who walks right. on a lake, right? Right, right? Okay, that's really nice. But uh, that's a peacetime miracle, mm-hmm. right? We need the serious ones where it's a yeah. wartime and the, and, and the whole society is being fought. So, subhanAllah. That's beautiful. And we've gone two hours and 38 minutes, one of our wow. longer podcasts. But this is almost like a textbook type of podcast. Oh, yeah. And if you're, um, you know, someone who's who's interested in learning this stuff, um, can can you start l- leaking these sections into little blog posts? Sure. Just sure. in little sections, sure. little sections. And yeah. then people could actually slowly uh, get I the, yeah, get the, get the written content mm-hmm. as well as the, you know, this audio content. Yeah. Jazakumullah khairan everyone. We'll close with our dua. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk wal asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amanu amilu s-salihat. Wa tawasaw bil-haq. Wa tawasaw bil-sabr. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Thank you very much Nas. Jazakumullah khair.